Friday, August the 18th, 2023. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of That's What She Said Podcast. We missed last week. I uh, was a little under the weather. It's been a crazy couple weeks. I had to go to the hospital. Um, was really dehydrated. And so it ended up taking uh, a few days to try to recover. Still not quite feeling all the way back to myself with that normal energy level, but much, much better this week. We have a lot of ground to cover here. We are going to talk NFC East with Eric. We're going to go team by team. We go Eagles, Cowboys, Giants, Commanders. We preview each of those teams and the overall division. Then we get into Saturday horse racing. We've got to look at the uh, the Woodbine early pick five. There's a $100,000 guarantee that pick five starts in race two. They also have a couple stakes races on the card. So I'm going to preview all of the pick five and then the stakes races then we get into saturday saratoga three best bets on the day there are two graded stakes races i give thoughts on both of those and share some best plays then we get into saturday louisiana downs two best bets for louisiana saturday del mar we have three best plays for del mar for saturday so we'll give you four different saturday tracks with multiple plays at each track And then we finish up with this week in wrestling with Chad Cooper, everything going on in the world of AEW with Dynamite Collision as they're on the road to their big show at Wembley. We talk about WWE, Raw, SmackDown, and NXT, everything going on in the world of wrestling each and every week right here on That's What G Said podcast. Let's dive on into our NFL previews. We go team by team in the NFC East. Eric joins us to talk Eagles. Cowboys, Giants, and Commanders. Finish up with our NFL team-by-team previews. Now we're going to move in to the NFC East. Eric joins me. Eric, thanks so much, buddy. We had a little uh, a little time off. I was a, a little sick last week, but ready to, to go right now as we finish up with the our NFC divisional preview. So we still have, uh, I think, this and two more NFC divisions following this one. NFC East, and we have the Philadelphia Eagles, who you were all over the last year and a half. You called this team sort of turning the corner before they did. This is, since you and I have been doing sports together the last four years or so, this has probably been one of your better calls, just that this team would become as good as they are. Um, just sort of felt like the way the coaching was coming together. It was two years ago towards the end of the year when you noticed the way that they just started pounding the run, right? And it was just like a different team. Yep, they started running the ball a lot more, getting over that 30 attempts, being a lot more physical. And you could kind of tell like they were headed in the right direction. And then it just kind of pieced everything together when they got A.J. Brown. They did struggle last year stopping the run. Um, that got better when they picked up Nagamik and Sue made that draft pick. I'm spacing who they added midseason got a little better against the run. Jalen hurts, you know, absolutely love him. I mean, his story, how he went to Alabama, Kiffin left Saban really didn't like him, you know, stood there, got into the national championship game. Uh, then he went to Oklahoma, got him to the national semifinal game, came here. They really didn't like him here. He just keeps on plugging along. I mean, this kid's just a definition of just kind of somebody that succeeds and you kind of give the coaching staff a great job because they put in a system that allowed him to succeed. Obviously a rush-based attack. And what makes it really hard is just the different types of runs they use. It comes at you from different angles. First of all, you have the RPO with Hertz. 
They run a lot. Of, they run power blocking. And, and because they their offensive line is so good too, right? They can do different things with that offensive line that other teams can't. If yeah. When you have offensive line issues that they can pull, like you're saying, they can do all sorts of things with really strong offensive linemen. You have some other teams that have three or four different linemen, new linemen. They're just trying to get out there and block. Yeah, They can't do I mean, anything creative, right? This team does power inside, outside zone, RPOs. And that's what makes this rushing attack really hard. Obviously, they lost Miles Sanders, who had a sneaky good season last year. They're replacing him with Rashad Penny and DeAndre Swift. But they also have Kenneth Gainwell. And the thing that kind of stood out to me is when you read these reports from training camps and whatnot, Gainwell's the running back who's getting most of the run in the two-minute drill, which kind of stood out to me. He's, he's familiar with their system, right? He's comfortable with it. And so when you need when, – when it becomes like shorthand, he's the guy that they go to right yeah. now. And so th- they may have a good backfield for regular football, but it, it might be a tough one if you're a fantasy player, right? Yeah, to not really player. know where to go. You don't really know who's going to go. And then you add Hurts in the mix too, who could steal some touchdowns. Poach stuff. In terms of the passing attack, it's basically two deep roots on the outside, underneath roots, um, under underneath stuff across the middle of the field. It's really important to note, though, and anyone that listens to me come on your stuff knows how much I'm really just not into this first year play caller thing. Yeah. Those are the kind of the they lost both coordinators. Yep. Both of them went on to be head coaches in different places, right? Correct. And Brian Johnson's taken over as the OC. It's important to know. I found this really interesting when I was doing my research. Johnson actually played for Hertz's old man in high school, and they've known each other forever. Very comfortable. Hurts for a while and they have a great relationship, but I'm still worried about him being a play caller. Obviously the Eagles are one of the most analytical teams in the NFL. You mentioned their offensive line. Offensive line has been great. And one of the things that we're really good at is they have their starters, but they're really deep. They're at the point right now, kind of in the roster evolution. They're not as as deep. deep. Yeah. Because they're a lot of the backups have signed on to be in starting roles with different organizations. They did lose their DC. Uh, Sean Desai is taking over, comes from the Vangio coaching tree. You know, he's basically going to keep everything the same. But again, the biggest issue last year was stopping the run. They did draft Jalen Carter from Georgia to help this issue. But we don't know. Uh, He was in that um, uh, drag racing incident that that someone tragically passed away on. Is he going to be suspended? Also, and he's a first-year play caller. Um, you know, with he how could, he could, it's one of those things where if he is mentally okay, they may have gotten sort of gotten lucky because he could have he may have dropped farther down because of that incident that happened. Um, and if that's something that he can move forward from and on the field, it could be a great setup because they have such a strong defensive line already. He could be in a situation where he's in tons of one-on-ones and he yeah. gets a great look, but they they're at a point where they actually they need him to fill in and contribute they're, right away. They're right? at that point where these guys they're drafting kind of like the kind of like we've seen with the Chiefs to maintain the level of success. You need you got to come in and be good. And we're not saying yeah. they can't, but you got to see it first, especially with exactly. someone who's got these issues that have been off the field. He may be suspended, or it just may take a while for him, sort of mentally maturity wise, to put it all together. That's also and, a great point. The thing is, is like the size of first year play caller. 
the whole thing with the Eagles defense is it does its best when it's able to create pressure, have it being stopping the run and just naturally create pressure because they really don't blitz. What does the side do? Does the side start panicking if they're not getting to the quarterback? You know what I mean? Does he and then you start the blitzing. Then there's holes in the middle of the defense, stuff. right? It's um, you start exploiting other like they can start exploiting other weaknesses. That that's my concern. Kind of what you're hitting at with them. They lost some key pieces on the defensive side. A couple of linebackers, a couple of safeties, like all players that were pretty impactful for them last year. So again they're still really talented and they still probably have one of the better, deeper rosters overall, but it's not quite as deep. Just like we said with the charger or with the 49ers and with the chiefs, both teams, I feel like it's, you have a good team. It's harder in the NFL to keep your really good teams for long periods of time. Cause just like you're saying, these good players go elsewhere. They get paid. You have to be a good organization and build through the draft because that's the way that you stay competitive continually and so now they're going to be leaning on some other key pieces and and now you're also in a situation where for the last year year and a half you weren't really the team everybody was chasing yet and now in the nfc you're really the top dog up there right it's a different perspective now when everybody circles that game against the eagles you're coming out of the super bowl and you're one of the biggest games on everybody's schedule now so can they Right. Can they deal with that pressure of what it is? Yeah. And another thing we need to remember is, I mean, obviously the offense is the offense. Um, You know, it's, I think the offense isn't the issue. Maybe, maybe they take a step down because of some offensive line issues. And maybe they were so efficient last year. They're not quite as efficient, but it feels still like good backs, good quarterback, good offensive line, and you got good receivers and a good tight end. Like, they're pretty well set up on the offensive side. And obviously the defense just comes down to two things. Can you naturally create pressures again this year like you did last year, and can you stop the run? We need to remember this team really did struggle stopping the run until they had to sue midseason. Obviously, there is the historical trend of betting teams to the under. The book I was using for my lines had the under price, though, to minus 140, which is a little too juicy for me. Because of that, I am going to kind of stay away from it and, uh, you know, just kind of go from there. Uh, What's hard for me, too, Eric, is like I – these are the types of teams I'd always want to play an overall under on because they had such a good year last year. And – and now you feel like this team, are they going to care about winning 14 games versus 11 and 12 as much this year? I don't think so, right? I think yeah. now, like, this is a team that wants to be healthy. They want to make sure come playoff time, they have a lot of their big pieces, and they'll feel pretty good. But I, I'm also just worried that, like, as we go through it, the NFC overall isn't that strong. Like, they could still be a little bit less than they were last year and still be pretty good. The division, though, is competitive. I think the division's pretty competitive, right? We're going to talk about Dallas. The Giants were a playoff team last year, and they're well-coached. I don't know how good overall the Giants are, but they kind of remind me now, moving forward, maybe of, like, Tennessee. Like, a good coach team that might be kind of under the radar and just sort of like a team that it's kind of a nuisance that you don't love playing every year. Um, and then we'll see what happens with Washington. I think the, the jury's out on them. I could be... You know, I don't think they're going to be good, but maybe they're just more competitive. Maybe they do get something with Howell. Where do you have Philly? I kind of had them right around their number. I could see, I see them at yeah, like 11, 11. Kind of, you know, exactly. Yeah, right that around the number. 
because their win total is in that 11, 11 and a half ish range. And that's, that's right where I have them. They have two Monday games, Eric, they have a Thursday game and they have a stretch. I, I think the start to their season's pretty good. Uh, they go at new England, Minnesota, uh, at Tampa, Washington, at the Rams. It's not easy because you're sort of going back and forth, but there's no team on that schedule that you go, they can't beat. Like they could start four or five and oh. Then you look at after the bye, they go at Kansas City on a Monday night. Then they come back on a short week and they play Buffalo. Then you go San Francisco at Dallas at Seattle and then back home for the Giants on Christmas Day. Um, that's not an easy stretch of games right there. What those are one, two, three, four, five, six teams in a row that were all playoff teams last year. Yeah, that's but again, you know, if this team wants to be in the same breath as the Chiefs, which they want to be, you handle those games. Yep. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. that's the stuff that you handle. And and this is where we'll see where the Eagles, one of those teams that was a good team last year, had a nice schedule. Things sort of went well for them early. They took advantage of it. We we see a team like that every year, right? Are they going to be the team of the year or are they going to establish themselves now as one of the best teams in the league? Like, you know, every year, this is a double digit win team. Now, you know, Hertz is the type of guy that's going to at least get you in the playoffs. And this coaching staff is that type of staff. We'll see. Were they a team that maybe, like you said, everything went so well for them. Now they get a little bit older, one or two injuries this year that maybe didn't happen at the beginning of last year. And now all of a sudden, if you're like two and three instead of five and oh, do you get the same thing out of everybody? Do you get the same effort, the same uh, you know, confidence level? They're the team to beat in the division. I don't really have very many ways I'm looking at playing them overall right now. I, I, I just couldn't find a way. Even like you said, I didn't find the, the positive value to the over or to the under in any way, shape or form. They're your strong chalk in this division. Yeah, you just got to kind of sit back. There's no point forcing. I mean, what's, no, what's no, the point of forcing? Not at all. Let's move to the Dallas Cowboys. We're looking at DRF Sportsbook and Dallas is plus 190. They're the strong second choice in the NFC East. Their win total, Eric, is nine and a half, but it's really juiced to the over. So probably 10 in, in a lot of places that you're looking. And for Dallas, it's it seems like it's always the same for Dallas. Like we're always saying the same thing. Can they take the next step? For Dallas, they were 12 and five again last year. They made the playoffs each of the last two years going 12 and five. Not bad, but they haven't reached the NFC championship since 1995, let alone the Super Bowl. So they've been able to just get there, but not take that next step. Mike McCarthy will now be calling the plays. They brought in a new offensive coordinator. Uh, he has called plays, and he has not called plays since 2018. But the Packers did have top five scoring offenses seven of the 13 years he was in Green Bay. They were second last year in pass rushing grade, only behind the Eagles. This team has a good defensive line, especially when they can get up in games because then they know you're throwing the ball and they can just tee off on you. And that's when you you better be sharp because they're going to get that to you with guys like Parsons, only the third player ever to have 12 plus sacks in each of his first two years since 1982. And you just... With this team, you never know what you're going to get with Dak. I, I'm not saying he can't Eric win Eric, but he just he always seems to me like the guy that beats up on inferior competition. And then when things get tough, when it's a tight game and he has to make one important decision, a lot of the times 
like that becomes an interception or that becomes a miss when he needs to hit that particular receiver. I don't know if he's shown that he's a real pressure guy yet. He really has to step up in the bigger moments because last year he had a terrible passing grade. He missed five games and he still led the league in interceptions. He had more turnover worthy plays. So even if you're not someone who like interceptions can be fluky, okay, go look at pro football focus. They do turnover worthy plays versus big time throws. He had more turnover worthy plays than big time throws. So he just wasn't very good last year. They do bring in cooks. And this has been a guy that you and I have sort of mentioned because I don't think people realize he's, he's really underrated. Cooks has hit a thousand yards, six out of his nine years, six out of the last eight. Um, only Mike Evans and Kelsey have had more 1,000 yard seasons during the last eight years than Cooks. He actually had a stretch of four straight years over 1,075 yards receiving. But for them, you know, it's kind of funny for for them and the Eagles. A lot of the the real weaknesses last year, same thing, stopping the run. They were 27th interior defensive line. Uh, in their run grade in stopping the run. Uh, the offensive line, when fully healthy, is good. They're just getting a little older. Tyron Smith, he's only played 15 of the last 34 eligible games over the last two years. Steele is coming off a torn ACL that required surgery. So you have major question marks about both of their starting tackles. A um, couple more notes. They did add Gilmore to the secondary. He's not the 2019 Defensive Player of the Year anymore but he still ranked sixth last year among cornerbacks with a very good coverage grade. And now you have him and Diggs that should give you a decent uh, combination back there in the secondary Quinn sticks. He's probably one of their strengths. He's a very good defensive coordinator. He's been a head coaching candidate. A lot of places the last few years, Uh, they had led the league in takeaways for the second straight year with 33. And then uh, just a couple questions we have for them. Can Pollard be that every, every down guy? It's easy when you have a guy, Eric, like you are someone who points this out all the time. It's easy to be the other guy. And everybody wants like, oh, Elliot between the tackles isn't as good and Pollard's going to be amazing. But it's it's nice to have Elliot there to take some of the brunt, to hand the ball up the middle a few times, to wear teams down, and then Pollard can break a run or two. It's a little bit different when you're the guy that's getting hit every single time. You're getting all those bumps and bruises can he take all the wear and tear and still be as efficient? We don't really know that. We've got to see a lot of these things. Talk to us about the Cowboys. Uh, With Kellen Moore now with the Chargers, Brian Schockenheimer is now the OC, but Mike McCarthy is going to be calling plays. With that comes a change in the offense. You mentioned Brandon Cooks. This is going to be a spread type offense with a lot lot of deep routes. They put Gallup, they put Cooks on the outside. You have Lamb working the slot, some deep posts, some underneath stuff. That's what's going to be looking like along with that comes less RPO, less check downs to the running back. To me, this just means a decrease in the value for Tony Pollard in terms of fantasy. Also, last year was the most touches that Pollard had in the NFL during his career. The first time he went over 200 touches. He's listed as six feet tall, 209 pounds. That's a lot of wear and tear, man. But if you're listed as that, the reality is you're probably you're five, eight, a buck 90. Yep. Also, with that being said, to me, it just doesn't make sense why you haven't signed Fournette or signed Hunt. Just give someone to go alongside with Pollard because the Cowboys also 
switched offensive line coaches. And with the switching offensive line coaches, now instead of running more outside zone runs, they became an inside zone running team. Now you have an undersized Tony Pollard running more in between the tackles. To me, that's just going to lead a little bit to disaster. Also, when you look at Solaire's blocking history as an O-line coach, his team has performed a lot better in run blocking per PFF as opposed to pass blocking. Does this mean Dak is going to be throwing more interceptions because he's hurried a little bit more? If this kind of like stays with, with the, um, with the pattern, that's something to monitor defensive side of the ball. Look, when you have arm Armstrong and Parsons rushing the quarterback, it just is going to make the defense good. Yep. Um, you know, they led the league in pressure. The, obviously the bigger, the biggest weakness the Cowboys have is you can run the ball in them. They look to address that by drafting Smith this year in the draft, hoping he's going to be able to clog the middle, stop that run game, be that big interior force. But look, this is my take with the Cowboys. When you have Armstead, Lawrence, Parsons, Diggs, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, you have a legit defense. And in my eyes, this is a legit championship level defense. You can win a Super Bowl with this D. defense. But when you look at the offense, that is where the question's at. Yeah. You mentioned Dak. You mentioned the offensive line. You They're older. The we the do- blocking. I mentioned the change in the blocking. Yeah, we don't. There. Just all the pe- new, new play caller, quarterback yeah. that's coming off of a bad year, play caller that might be past his prime too, right? He hasn't called plays in five years. Our Things team. change a lot. Things change yeah. a lot. And remember, like, it's really hard. Like, we saw this with Hackett. It's hard with some of these guys. We saw this with Adam Gase. Right, some of these guys that are great coaches because of great quarterbacks, it's really hard to tell are they a great coach or is it because they've got this quarterback that can really do all do everything on their own, anyways, right? Like, how much coaching is Aaron Rodgers need when like he knows that system so well? You know, you're out there just oh hey Aaron go. Is it going to be the same thing like that with Dak? I don't know. You know, to me this is a this is a worrisome team. Look, I want to bet they're under. But I can't because of the defense. I yeah. think the defense and- is going to be able to keep it in the games. But the one bet I did lock in is I took the rushing underprop on Tony. Powell. I like that. See, I like that. Because I'm a little bit concerned with his ability to be able to run in between his tackles, his ability to stay healthy. Just all those things added up. I'm just a little bit worried about Pollard. And I think he's going to get run down to the ground. It was under 1,050 and a half yards rushing. That's my only bet with the, with the Dallas Cowboys. Looking at, looking at their schedule, they have six primetime games, as is usually the case with the Cowboys. And what's sort of tough about their schedule, they play the AFC East. So in that AFC East, those are four teams that could, could maybe be 500 or over in there. You know, you've got the Bills and the Dolphins, uh, the Jets and the Patriots. There's not really a bad team in that division. No. Right, like none of those are gimme games at all. Even if you and I aren't as high as on the Jets, maybe as some others, like yeah. that's not you're you're not talking about like a, a walk through that division. So there are four games right off the bat that are tough. Then they have at the Chargers, at the 49ers, and they play the Lions in Seattle, who are probably on paper two of the better NFC teams as well. So and, you know, you mentioned this when we when we talked about the Lakers before kind of the brand everyone's going to kind of be always overvalued 
always overvalued, whether it be on the win total, whether it be to win anything, whatever the price is on the Cowboys, every week, if the Cowboys are minus three and a half, they should only be minus three, right? Like whatever it is, it's always a little bit more. So you can usually in the long run make money or just get on the right side of numbers when you play against teams like this that are the Cowboys, that are the Yankees, that are the Lakers, that are, you know, the the big, big, um, most popular franchises and, and well-known teams. Yeah, I mean, like you said, it's it's tough. I don't think they have like a drop through the floor type season because the defense is so good. Like even a bad year for them, I think would be closer, like around 500. I don't, I don't see them as like a five win team, even if things go really bad, because they could, they could, like we saw last year, even without Dak, they could bring in a, just a replacement level quarterback. And if this defense is healthy, they'd still be fine. Were we, were we worry about them though? receiving right are there enough is there enough there at the receiver like is lamb really a one and then cook slots in really as a two like i think lamb is more of a two personally like i think he you know he has some big games and great games um and he's certainly got the talent but then they, they lose a tight end there too right are they gonna have enough to fill in in those spots do they have enough pass uh, a uh, pass catchers i don't know yeah I'm, i haven't been a lamb guy since no me neither. Since he came out of college, you know, obviously no more Schultz. You have Ferguson come in. Offensive line issues. I really just feel like too many small little things. They, like, but they oh. do like really like realistically when you look at their defense. You know, I think everyone can agree top five, and you can make yeah. an argument that it could be the best one in the league. And because what what's very impressive about their defense is they have the strength up front. They have the strength now in the back. And like you said, mm-hmm. in the middle, they added a piece or two as well. So on paper, they're not really, there's not very many holes on that defense. I got them in the 10, I got them like 10, 11. Um, I have them like nine. I have like yeah. four, nine, ceiling 11, 12. Yeah, same, same. I just don't, I don't think they beat really good teams. I think they beat the teams that they're better than. And, you know, they start on the road with the game against the team that we're going to talk about right now. The Giants as we move to the Giants and last year they were the team that overachieved they brought in new coaching staff and it just shows you with the same almost the same exact group of players Eric this coaching staff was able to get competitive uh, was able to field a competitive team was able to field a team that goes on and makes the playoffs and this Giants team's over under this year is only seven and a half you start to look at them from last year. It's funny. They didn't have a whole, like they weren't great at anything. Now you look at their particular units, like the strength for them was leaning on the run. They had the two headed monster of Barkley and their quarterback Jones. And he cut down on his turnovers a bunch, only five interceptions last year. It was the second lowest total in the NFL of quarterbacks who had 250 plus passing attempts. He also rushed for 700 yards and seven touchdowns. Barkley, 1,300 yards, 10 touchdowns last year. He also led the team in targets with 76. Uh, They won a playoff game on the road. So now for them, can they take another step forward? Can they be competitive for the division with the top two? Or are they going to take a step back, not be a playoff team, be under 500, and you, you don't really know who they are? Last year, Dable was the AP coach of the year. They won five more games than they did the year before. And 
He just reminded me, I, I was mentioning Vrabel, because they won a, a lot on the margins last year. They seemed like they just got the best out of a lot of their players. Overall, Pro Football Focus had them graded the fourth lowest roster in the NFL, but they still had a winning record uh, because of their coaching. Defensively, the linebackers weren't very good, and the safeties were the second worst. So that's a spot where they need to get a little bit stronger at the back end of their defense. They drafted rookie Banks, who is the third-rated quarterback on Pro Football Focus's big board. And for them, they have a young offensive line. We saw Thomas took a huge step forward last year. Can some of their young offensive linemen improve rapidly? If so, their offensive line could be a lot better. Neal is going to move back to the left side. He had to play the right side as a rookie, and he's much better on the left. Um, so looking at their offensive line, can the young guys get better? They bring in Waller when he's healthy. He's very good, but he's missed 14 games over the last two years, 2019, 2020. He was awesome. Last year, the giants tight ends ranked bottom 10 in receiving grade in receptions and in receiving yards. So if this guy comes in right away, he's wide receiver. Number one on this team, if he's you know healthy and, and ready to go, because they don't really have a wide receiver one, Eric, right? They've got Shepard, Slayton, Paris Campbell, Jamison Crowder, Hodgins, Wandale Robinson, third-round draft pick, Hyatt. So a lot of a lot of guys to throw the ball to, but no one that really kind of slots in like a number one. Uh, one other point, as I toss it over to you, they did le- uh, lose their leading tackler, Love. What's going to happen this year with the Giants? You mentioned uh, the ball, smart dude. Um Really smart dude, and people are going to hate me for saying this, but what he did with Josh Allen, he did with Daniel Jones last year. He did. Multiple wide receiving sets, outside going deep, underneath routes, coming back to the quarterback, giving Jones one or two reads, and just said, look, if stuff's not there, just run. And that's what he did. Also, in Buffalo, never really had a run game. Gets New York, you have Saquon Barkley back there, starts running. So, like, he plays to his system. you got to give him credit for that. But the one thing that kind of stood out with me with Saquon is he's averaging a whole yard less per carry running out of the gun than he does when Daniels is under center. So that's something, you know, just to kind of monitor something to keep keep your mind on when watching these games, when betting the um, the Giants, if they're starting to run and Barkley props, and they're starting to run more – Shotgun sets, Barkley isn't as effective running out of those. Um, now, you mentioned uh, the passing game. I have two futures in this. I took a swing for the fences here. Jalen Hyatt, I took him at 40 to 1 to be rookie of the year. Yeah, I like um, that. Um, you know, you mentioned all their wide receivers. So they he dropped, a- right? He shouldn't have been a third round draft pick. He should not have been a third round pick. He should have been one of the, one of, he was, he won the, na- the national award for wide receiver of the year. And he's been getting great Real, reviews in camp yeah, so far. What's also and what's and, also positive, you again, I point this out because you always will mention where guys are at their best. He's actually been playing outside because there's so many slot receivers in this room, right? These are all like slot guys. If he can be on the outside, that'll give him more options and more of an opportunity to get even yeah. bigger plays. Yep. Yeah, and that's kind of how I attacked this. I attacked the Everyone they have except for Hyatt and Hodgins plays the inside. So I took Hyatt at 40 to one, put a flyer on him to room rookie of the year. 
don't know what's going to happen. Has a big game, a couple of big games. Giants make a push. Bijan goes down, or it's more of a split in Atlanta. And then I took Isaiah Hodgkins over 500 and a half yards receiving. That was his prop. Hodgins emerged as Jones' favorite target to end the season. He had a 20% target share. He averaged five and a half reception, sorry, five and a half targets, five receptions, and 50 yards per game. And then you look at the wild card game, must win game against Minnesota. He really established himself as the top guy. Nine targets, eight receptions, a buck oh five yards, and one TD. I really feel with the relationship that Jones and Hodges formed to close the season. And, you know, just kind of looking at the production and him probably going to get an 80% snap share just because there's no one else on the outside, I think he can easily go over the 500 and a half yards receiving. In terms of offensive line, you mentioned it's young, it's growing. Thomas, you mentioned it, huge leap from his rookie this season. They need Neal to make that leap as well. So you have those two bookend tackles. They drafted my boy from Minnesota, JSM, at center. I really think he's going to come in. He's going to make Neil better, just kind of being the quarterback of the offensive line. Defense, they have Martindale, formerly of the Ravens. The thing that Martindale does is he blitz, blitzes, and does more blitz. It's a real weird system, though. He'll call a play, but then the players have the ability to audible the play and just blitz. Mm-hmm. So he really puts a lot of trust into the players. Obviously, um, the one thing they did struggle on was stopping the run. And that just seems to be a common theme in this division, something we're going to need to monitor. And if it continues this year, obviously take advantage of it in terms of DFS. Look to attack them and play opposing teams. Running backs, they had a magical season. But when you look at their schedule, there's four home games within the first 11 weeks. That's absurd. Two of the Um, first three on the road. They got a trip west with San Francisco on a short week. Then weeks two through six, four out of those five games are on the road. Weeks nine through 11, they play three straight road games. It is a brutal schedule. It's just a brutal schedule, and I really feel like that's going to be tough to overcome. But I know because they don't have the talent, but they do have the coaching maybe, right? Yeah, and who knows? Maybe Jones will take – a Josh, another Josh Allen type step because obvi- now obviously you do have more wide receivers to go along with that. Um, and then Waller, you know, put Waller con- in the mix. Yeah, contract incentive. And the and look, I'm going to say this about Waller. And if this comes off like insensitive, like I apologize. But the one thing I'm, I'm leery about Waller is when you look at his history with um, off the field al- stuff, alcoholism. Yeah. yeah. He doesn't take painkillers. Which I get. Oh which I no, you're right, and that's a, it's an addiction so, thing. So you can't get. It's harder to get over. You know what I mean. So as the season progresses, what are we going to see from him? You know, when, you're, like, when your what? body's I'm, banged up, can you? I'm push not through? knocking the guy. No, you know? no. I'm just pointing out, like an actual fact. Yeah, an actual that. fact. And props to him, you know, for able to just stay sober because you know that that is a battle. That, that's what over. happens when people oh, like that sometimes go into the certain the hospital for surgery and stuff, yeah. right? They don't take those types of painkillers, and it's harder for them to recover. Yeah, um, it so takes longer. So that's a that's a a that's very good point. You got to kind of you know keep in mind like, when you look at Waller. Everyone's saying he's going to do all this stuff. Is he going to be able to be healthy for the whole season? Is he going to be able to have that wear, like maintain the wear and tear? Because he is getting up there in years. Um, look, this team is magical. I 
anytime they're a dog, I'll probably take them. Me too. I, I, I it's just, I'm, that's where I was going, getting at. I'm probably going to play this team a lot week to week when they're undervalued. I do. I, I kind of want to see one more year from Dable to see is he a head coach that can just make this team beat teams that are a little bit better than them all the time. Like I, I keep uh, referencing referencing Vrabel because that's who I think of with a guy that can get like a team that's like middle of the road to always be a playoff team or a winning type team. Is he that good of a coach? We're going to find out this year because this schedule is tough. Like I really, I like him. I like them as a roster, and I I was really excited for them last year, how much they improved. But damn, looking at the schedule and going win-loss, win-loss, I had a hard time getting them to more than like nine wins. I Like like that was about the ceiling that I could get to them. But something, you know, and we've kind of talked about this, is the NFC is going to be so down. You know what? Maybe maybe that's good enough. Yeah, and is that good enough? And – what last year they only won nine and they made the playoffs. Yeah. Right. They had the tie in there too. So I think they were nine, seven and one. So is that a key number for them getting to nine? Cause we said they were going to, they're going to have some tough stretches. You go at San Francisco, Seattle at Miami at Buffalo. You could lose all four of those games. Correct. Right. Boom. In weeks three through six, just brutal. And then you have games at the Raiders where, yeah, maybe not that difficult, but it's still on the road. And then you go at Dallas, at Washington. So three straight road games, and then you come home for New England before the bye. A uh, couple tough stretches for them, but overall, we like their staff. We like what they've done as an organization, and I I would, I would, hope I'm a little bit wrong. Like, If I were rooting for a team to win this division, I'd root for them. Like, I would love to see them win the division and, and jump right up there with the Eagles and the Cowboys, but... What's sort of tough for them is it, it feels like them and the Eagles last year had the really good year where everything sort of bounced well for them, right? Like they win on the margins a lot. They get the bounces and the lucky here and there. They even they ended up drawing Minnesota in the playoffs, and we knew whoever drew Minnesota was going to be in a good spot, right? Like we knew the Vikings were overvalued. So it was a good year for the Giants, plus 750 to win the division as we move to the long shot. The Washington Commanders, they are plus 1,300. Eric, their over-under is six and a half wins. And Washington, we have to ask a question. Is Ron Rivera a good head coach? (laughs) He hasn't had a winning season since 2017. He's sort of safe. Um, In his 12 years as a head coach, he's only been above 500 three times. They bring in Eric Bieniemy, who's now going to be their offensive coordinator. Last year, Washington was 24th in points per game, 20th in yards per game. So they need some help on the offensive side, no doubt. They had a better than talked about secondary last year. The defense was actually good, which we expected. Uh, the sec- They only allowed 30 points twice all year, and their coverage team did a really good job in the secondary. They add rookie cornerback Forbes, who had uh, six career pick sixes, which is the FBS record. For them, it's been pretty simple for a while, Eric. Can they get better play at quarterback? Last year, they had the third-worst passing grade among quarterbacks. They do bring in Brissett, who had a nice start to the year for the Browns last year. He gives them some veteran experience. Looks like Sam Howell is going to be the guy. They have started 12 different quarterbacks since 2018, which is the most of any team in the NFL. Terry Mack, wide receiver. He's had over 919 yards each of his four years, three straight years over 1,000 
yards, uh, twice over 1050, uh, twice over 1100, actually back to back chase young on a contract year, a very good rookie season for him. Then he got hurt in week 10 of 2021 played the final three games last year. This is a huge year for him finding out who he is and what kind of contract can he demand next year. If the guy stays healthy, he could be a menace out there. They played 10 games this year against teams that made the playoffs last year. So that, that's not easy on your schedule of 17 games. And they have an offensive line that is changing four starters between new acquisitions and position switches. They're ranked bottom 10, maybe even bottom five by a lot of places I'm looking at. You know, they started the year last year, one and four. Then they win six out of seven games. They get up to seven and five. And then they have those two games in a row against the Giants that hurt them. Because if things went better for them during that stretch, they probably make the playoffs instead of the Giants. Brian Robinson Jr., he was coming off getting shot last year. Still had almost 800 rushing yards in 12 games. They also have Gibson. So a couple backs that they could try to lean on because I don't know if they want Howell slinging it all over the place. What like, what are we going to get from this team this year, Eric? I, I You know, like a, like a feel for them. Like, what do you think about Howell? How good are they? Are they going to be one of the worst teams in the league? Let's talk Washington. Well, the day has finally come. There's no more, no more Scott Turner. Scott Turner yeah. started even the worst offensive, offensive coordinator forever. He's gone. Bring in my B enemy. Let me first start out with, I really had an issue with Riverboat Ron saying to the media how some of the players have approached him and said, hey, B enemy's being too tough. Yeah. That just kind of shows me that how these guys have been coached. I know. So soft. Years. There's no guy really getting in their face holding responsibility. With B enemy, they're going to use a lot of stuff that the Chiefs use. Obviously, a lot of preset motion. This is obviously going to make things easier for Howell because he's going to be able to say, it's this man, is this zone. He's going to be able to read the coverage a little bit easier. I really think also because of Howell's RP, because of his running ability, I think they're going to use some RPOs. I mean, this kid, his last year at North Carolina, he rushed for 828 yards and he averaged four and a half yards per carry. I think we're going to be able to take advantage of his rushing props maybe the first two weeks. Obviously, there's nothing posted for the season. If there was something posted for the season, I would look to take him for a rushing prop for the season. Obviously, in terms of fantasy football, especially the DFS site, if you're going to pay down for quarterback, you want some guy with some rushing upside. That's what Sam Howell is going to be. He's going to be this year's Daniel Jones in terms of DFS just because of his rushing upside. Running back room is loaded. Um, he's going to want to run the ball. I think Gibson and Robinson both have legs in fantasy. And I'll be honest, if you draft them, draft both and just start. Figure both. it out. Right. You, you'll see. You'll see within a few weeks. I what... think this is something you could do. Like this is like if with Green Bay, if you have Aaron Jones and um, A.J. Dillon, you start both. Just get all the production because Green yep. Bay is going to run around the ball. Yep. Washington's going to want to run the ball. instead of trying And to then if out, one of the two it. gets hurt. Then you yeah. really have the number one, but yeah. you may just be drafting their backfield. Like you yeah. said, you start one of them at RB1, you start another one at flex, you know, yeah. in some yeah. of your positions, some of your spots. But the worry with that, though, is Chris Rodriguez from Kentucky. Can he poach some of those touchdowns from they you? Right? You know what I mean? The they have like a loaded. It's good for loaded. real football, might be a little difficult for fantasy. Oh, yeah. And then the wide receiver room, you, you mentioned Scary Terry, who's. 
an absolute beast, but also we need to talk about Jalen Dotson's just efficiency last year. He had seven touchdown receptions and he only had 35 total receptions for the year. That is insane efficiency out of the wide receiver position. What are we going to see from him? He has a great ability to high point a ball, can catch in traffic. He's way better than I thought he was going to be at the NFL level. And then they also have Curtis Samuel, who was basically doing Debo Debo Samuels-type things before Debo was. So this team is just loaded. They have all these weapons. And then I got to their offensive line, and this is because that is why I'm not placing a future on them. If they had a better offensive line, I would be – invested good because you got good backs and you got good receivers and you have a quarterback that nobody's expecting to be good. So even if he's bad, he's still like probably correctly or accurately valued, right? Based on who he is. The running ability to get out of the way, but this is one of the worst offensive lines in the league. And they did little in the off season to improve it. They drafted two interior players that were insanely low on my board. I think this unit's going to struggle to protect. Defense is solid. You have Chase Young playing for money, fully recovered from his ACL, so he's going to be loaded. They have Allen and Sweat and Payne up front. So you have four defensive linemen that can get to the quarterback that's going to make stuff easier for the DBs. One of their big things in terms of the linebacker room is they really didn't have a true middle linebacker. Barton from Seattle's coming over. Now you have that middle linebacker, someone that can control the middle of the field, drop back in coverage, step up, stop against the run. Defense is going to be good. I, it's just, and that, and that's if, what's if nice. They like, better, if they had a better offensive line, I would be really invested in this sneaky. Team. Yeah. I think this team could be, could have a Falcons, a Falcons but, type. Year. But, but what but, we see, we see from it's hard when you have a really good defense. We've, we saw it last year with a team like Denver, for example, right? You can have this really good defense early in the year and the defense is giving you everything they got. But then when you lose a couple of those close games, it breaks their heart a little bit, right? Yeah. And then you, you can't get that same production in week eight and yeah. week nine and week 10 anymore when you're only two and six, you know? Yeah, it's it's hard. But, but can you – But then on the total flip side, can you go and win a game or two early in the year that you're not supposed to win? Right. And then you're ahead of schedule. And now all of a sudden this defense is buying in and Chase Young is buying in and the secondary is a little bit better because they're they're you know, they drafted young and they're getting so you could see like midway through the year, this team's five hundred. You know, they're in the mix. But you know, it's it's hard because you do have to go through their schedule. And again, I don't think they have the easiest of schedules during like week six through ten. They've got a, a stretch of four out of five games on the road. They go at Atlanta, at Giants. I don't know if they're winning either of those games. You like Atlanta a lot. We're going to talk about them and you know, in, in one of the coming weeks. Then their home game is against the Eagles. That's probably a loss. Although we got to give them credit, they've actually played the Eagles pretty tough the last couple of years. They beat them last year, and they've actually historically played them pretty tough. But So think about that. At Atlanta, at the Giants, home for Philly, then at New England, at Seattle. So you go New England on one side, then you go all the way across the country and you play Seattle. They could lose all five of those games in a row. And then if that's the case, you know, Riverboat runs out of a job and BNB probably t- probably taking it over. 
slips right in. Yeah. The Washington Commanders. I know. I just, I, what is probably the case with most of these teams that we talk about last in their division, this will be a team. I'm going to end up playing Washington a lot more this year than I will end up playing Dallas or Philly. I'll tell you that. But I'll say this, like, look, if I was going to play Washington, any future ability, they're going to obviously be the team. They're probably like plus 200 to make the playoff. To, no, to be fourth. Like to be fourth, two. right? Yeah, just to fit in here. No, I like take a flyer for them to finish second or something. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Because like yeah. you could see Dallas falling apart, New York struggling with their schedule, or if that's too much for you, taking them to finish third because New York definitely has that hard schedule. But I think this is a team I'm going to look to play in prop in spots. I'm going to be betting Sam Howell rushing props, obviously week one, probably week two, and I'll have them in some DFS lineups to start too. So um, we will all be watching Eric about midway through the year, purchasing a Sam Howell jersey. That yep. could be one of Eric's new guys this yep. year, Sammy. And then based on what we're talking about too, maybe maybe Ritter also could be one of your guys uh, with that. Atlanta Ritter, team. Ritter's already on the roster. Okay, okay. He's right there. So move on over. Uh, good old Davis Mills. There's a couple new guys in town that, you know, yeah. you know that meme that's on social media where the guy the girl, the guy's like checking out the girl and the, the girl's all jealous looking at him. That that's yeah. you right now with Davis Mills and with uh Sammy Howell. So Eric, yeah. I mean, I just I have a hard time, just like you said, getting to anything with them season wide. I will play them a lot more week to week. This is actually one of the teams like, you know, they, they week one, they play Arizona and then week two, they go at Denver um, at Denver is not easy, but like they should be able to beat Arizona at home. Can you win a game on the road that you're not supposed to? And then all of a sudden you're a little bit ahead of schedule. I, I got them at like six, seven wins. I got them at six, seven wins or to me. Yeah. Six, seven. Like I, like I, you just can't at the end of the day for me, I just can't get back past. Me neither. Oh, God awful this offensive the line. The offensive line is and the 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 question marks about the coaching staff, right? Is is why they brought in BNME because they feel like there's not long for Riverboat Ron. It felt like that, right? And is is he someone who's just sort of on his last legs? Is he gonna be passing the baton over? You mentioned already some of the players were he's too hard on us for BNME. So I don't I don't always necessarily love the way that sounds, but they feel you I think for them the biggest and most important thing this year. Is Sam Howell a starting NFL quarterback, right? Can you can you find out if this guy is a starting quarterback? Because if not, like that's you're you're only gonna get so far in this league if you don't have a guy you believe in back there. You yeah, you, you can't get really much farther than as you can have the greatest defense in the world, great receivers, everything. Like we've seen it with the 49ers. You're in, you're out. They can have every other piece, but if Jimmy G's not quite ready, or last year, you know, they got hurt. What can they do? What can they give you in the quarterback room? Sam Howell starting for the Washington Commanders this year. NFC East. I mean, they could they could have the two best teams in the NFC as far as record is concerned. I wouldn't be shocking if like Eagles and the Cowboys were both two of the better teams in the NFC this year. If you know, we both think that the 49ers might come back to life a little bit. Um, they could be two of the, the, the best teams, but from a betting in the division standpoint, I just didn't find any of these teams that felt like they represented the value I would want for their chances to win overall for like playing a divisional price. Exactly. And that's why like my stuff is all kind of some props just, yeah. Prop driven just because More. I really feel that's, that's the only, the only way you can really, I'm, 
attack this division just because everything is just so up and down and there's really no value on on the eagles to bet to um to bet they're under um, no the only thing i'm i'm playing from a a prop uh team prop standpoint i think i'll still go giants over seven and a half um for them which would only they wouldn't even need to be a 500 team uh to get over that number they do have a tough schedule but i'm going i will bet on my angle that I think Dable is a better coach than he's given credit for so far based on the betting lines and based on, you know, the gam like the gambling numbers that we're looking at here. So uh play for me maybe would be the giants over the seven and a half total wins, but yeah, not as much in this division. You also went Pollard under the number was over a thousand in rushing yards, right? It was like 1050. That was your number. Yeah. 1050. Yeah. 1050 on that one. And yeah, I just, Couple good teams in here, but nothing like not that many things that I'm dying to go bet right now. Still a few weeks out from the season. Um, I'll go Giants under. Couple props. Anything else you want to mention here on the NFC East before we get out of here? No, I just Sam Howell week one rushing props. That's that's the that's the bet to lock in and have him in your DFS lineup. Eric uh, will be giving you a follow at Etoff21, and you're going to check out everything Eric's got. Etoff21 Sports. Uh, you and I are recording this on Thursday night, August the 17th. You are home with the family for a few weeks. Are you still going to have all the normal podcasts out and everything, or do you have like a little bit of a, a lull before summer stuff starts? No, everything will be coming out as normal. My podcast will be out later in the day, not first thing. We'll have NASCAR, we'll have some fantasy football talk, and we'll have some CFL betting. I'll be on the uh, DRF show with you, the winning ticket around dinner time, 6 p.m. Eastern. And then my stream with our friend Kyle, the DFS Bachelor, will be previewing the AFC West on Tuesday. Awesome. Tell Kyle hello. Good luck to you. Have a nice time at home with the family for the next week or so. And where will we head next? Let's go NFC. Let's talk about your Falcons. Let's talk about the South. Next Sounds week, good, my friend. So we'll go NFC South next week. If you all want to follow along, and keep in mind, we're only a couple weeks away. What three three weeks away from three, three weeks away? Believe it or not, from the opening yeah. opening we game. College, we have college football a week from Saturday. Woo! Getting ready here. Football time is upon us. What was the commercial a few years ago when there was the pandemic? I always sing that when it's going to get coming back, and my girlfriend Stephanie gets uh gets mad. The Celine Dion song. Ooh. We were lost long ago, but it's all coming back to me. I love, I want to hear those commercials because then you get the, okay, okay, it's coming back. That was great. I loved seeing all everybody alone in the stadiums. They were all sad. And then everybody's singing Celine Dion together because football is just, there's no, there's nothing like the beast. That is football. College yeah. football Saturdays, NFL Sundays. Eric and I are going to be here with you all year long because our job, our goal is to help all of you make money, give you the best information. So that way, things that you hear from us one week, you can go and use the next week. And you can use those handicapping angles to grow. I've been very lucky that I stumbled upon great people, great shows. I linked up with Eric a few years ago. Find people that help you get better. In your handicapping, find shows and podcasts and videos for people that give you information that maybe you're not getting all over the place. So you feel like maybe you have something a little bit unique. I'm excited, man. There's nothing like the grind that is football, the work that is football, but it's so fun every time we sit down each and every weekend and get to talk about every game and we're getting there. 
We are getting there. Thank you so much, buddy. You have a great rest of your week. And uh, we'll be talking NFC South next week right here on That's What G Said with Eric. Horse racing fans, many of us have been using the DRF, the daily racing form, for years, studying the races, keeping up to date on news with all the articles. I remember looking for a copy at the local liquor store or picking one up at the local racetrack, wherever I was going. Now it's even easier and cheaper than ever to use DRF with DRF.com and the newly optimized DRF Mobile. You can get all the tracks that you want to bet and handicap. Past performances that are mobile optimized for on-the-go handicapping on your phone. So you go to DRF.com from your mobile device, no additional cost. Tap the calendar icon on the top left. It opens all of the options for past performances and for the tools that are available. One click to bet now and DRF bets. Get real-time odds and scratches on race day. You can tap on any horse and you get those same DRF past performances that you're familiar with with a larger font for your mobile display. One click to formulator for charts, for replays if you get the formulator version. And even on the classic past performances, you get the home screen with horses, with odds, with buyers. You get a lifetime buyer speed figure graph. You can rotate your phone for the best view. And any horse that you click on, you'll see the running lines. You can easily move from horse to horse. The same data as those traditional classic DRF past performances. You get an interactive format, which is... Very similar to the DRF Classic version that you're used to on the desktop. Every card includes live data updated instantly with those scratches. And so you get the accessibility from desktop to phone, cross-device functionality. You can take your notes and save them from one device to the next and then access your account on any of your devices. On-the-go handicapping and wagering multiple formats to view you got the overview page with recent speed figures current days odds easy access to expert selections and analysis you got the buyer speed figure graph with lifetime buyer speed figures and chart notes for every horse and you got those traditional drf pass performances that are just newly optimized for your mobile phones they are constantly upgrading improving and making everything easier for you to get your handicapping done at drf.com you want to spread your pony knowledge Download the Stable Duel app and play today. Just one day out from the King's Plate at Woodbine. Let's talk some Woodbine Saturday. I'm going to look at the pick five. We're going to look at races two through six, and then we'll also take a look at the uh, the stakes races on the card because Saturday is a day with a couple stakes races, but Sunday with the King's Plate, five stakes races, 
and the big one, the King's Plate, with a field of 17. That's going to be Sunday. We need to make some money first on Saturday. We're going to do so diving into the daily racing form, past performances. We're going to look at the formulator style past performances. You can actually get those for free if you play along with DRF bets. So here's what you want to do. You want to head to sign up for an account, DRF bets, use the promo code winning, and then deposit 250 because they will match you all the way up to 250. So all of a sudden your 250 becomes 500 with the deposit match. And then they give you a $10 free bet for registering. They'll also give you 10 free formulator cards. A card is one track for one day. So we're looking at one card right now for Woodbine. Then once you're signed up, then you have an account and you're playing through DRF bets. Every time you bet 50 bucks, you'll get credit for another formulator card. So you want to continue to play along with DRF and DRF bets. Let's dive into Saturday, August the 19th. Remember, the early pick five always begins in race number two. And on Thursday, Friday, it's a $50,000 guarantee. Saturday, Sunday, that thing bumps up to 100000 And then on King's Plate Sunday, there's going to be all sorts of different guarantees throughout the card. We'll make sure we explain those to you on Sunday. Race number two kicks off that early pick five. And remember, you can play all these pick five wagers for the 20 cent base. If you like, I'm going to look towards the outside here. A couple uh, that are on my radar, the eight it's game night. I think he is the horse to catch and beat what's positive about him. He might be the quickest in here. He can also sit off if he needs to a little bit from the outside, but he's going to be dropping in class now and he's going to make the third start off the long layoff. I think he's set for a big one. I would have no problem playing a pick five where I single him right off the bat. All, uh, others to include are the ones right next door to him. The seven blue max is a major player. A uh, blue max is a three one on the morning line. He was a couple lengths off, but he was behind a wall of horses. If you look at the running line, he was seventh early, but only a length out of it. He was in the two path. He was in between. And then because there was all of that traffic in front of him, he got steady. He just had absolutely nowhere to go until early in the stretch. He did win the battle for third that day. So, uh, He's a player in here, no doubt, right next door. The number six kid, Forrester, pretty consistent at this level. He's going to have to turn the tables on a horse like Blue Max, who beat him two starts back. But he did improve in his most recent start. He's a seven-year-old. He's not a win machine, as you can see. He's just three for 30, but he's not far below what it would take to be really competitive in here, and he could offer you some decent value one other in here that you may want to look at is the two, but I'm going to try to play against Rockstar Row. They're taking a big drop down in class. They're just sort of looking for where he fits now at this point. I'll go against um, and use the uh, the couple to the outside, and we'll build really around the eight horse who we can hope uh, it's game night can steal this race or just sit that really nice forwardly placed trip. Uh, lots of blue max in the mix for me too. Seven, eight. Uh, and then some sixes, Kid Forrester. So eight, seven, six in race number two as we move along to the third race. And this one will be mile and a 16th on the synthetic three-year-olds and non-winners of two, optional 40. Pretty straightforward for me in here, so I won't even spend a ton of time in this race. I will. I usually like to spend more time in the races where there's a horse that's a bigger price that I like or maybe a little bit outside the box. Posturing will now stretch out. So I think he could be more forwardly placed in this race. The four uptown lights just had a brutal trip last time out. Just bad racing luck. Fast start was on the lead 
but then others to the outside all went forward. He got shuffled back as he stayed inside, and all of a sudden he goes from first to like eighth of nine, about four or five lengths out of it. Really unlucky. And I think you can expect a little more because he comes out of a race where he was behind a couple horses that we're going to see actually running in the King's Plate. So let's give the four a big look in here. The six is probably the horse to beat. He also comes out of that same race on July the 30th. He needed his last off the year break. He was three. The horse, all three in front of him are entered in the King's Plate. One of them is an eight and also eligible. Enjoy the silent. He got parked out to the four path going into the turn and he went up to settle in second. He was just chasing. He was all in early, and it was his first start off a long layoff. It was very logical. We can expect uh, we can expect a move forward. I like the four in here most. I would go. I would stack them four, six, two in that order. Nothing really creative for me. As we move along to race number four, I like the eight in here. That is a thread of blue. So this is a horse who has a little bit of back class. If you remember early on in his career, he was a graded stakes winner he still is a great stakes winner you can't take that away from him but he's not quite as classy at this point he was a precocious horse too but he's still got some ability and if you just look at his overall turf form it's really good and you can see it just feels like he perks back up every time he gets on the grass his last two have been very good and they're both in spots that are you know on paper tougher than this and if you look at the horses who are in those races. The races have come back pretty strong recently. You have Palazzi, who was in there, comes back to win next time out, earns an 86 buyer speed figure doing so. You have the third place finisher ready for the lady who comes back to win next time out and then finishes third following that. So I feel like the races are, the turf races he's coming out of are good. And it just feels like a really nice spot for him. Doesn't seem to be quite as quick used to be more of a speed horse. Now he wants to sit a little bit mid-pack, and so he needs a little help up front. Things have changed a bit for him as he's gotten older. The five grand journey, obvious player in here, maybe just going a little too far last time out, put a line right through it. Now you cut back and you go out for a barn who's excellent first start off the claim. Very logical with grand journey. Eight, five. I'd also look at the two. This is a beautifully bred horse. In in these types of races, he'll he'll probably be overbet a little early in his career because he's really well bred and the connections like strong Woodbine connections and he's just a fit at Woodbine. You know these like you you remember these siblings. You remember his dam. You remember Lady Spite Spear. Um, so he would never be shocking when he wins these races, but I think he's always going to be a little bit over bet and, you know, he'll try the turf in here after he won his debut and he did it nicely. I have no knocks on what he's done. I just think overall he might be a little bit overvalued, but this could be a really, really nice horse. Still maybe a spot to try to beat him against horses who have more experience, more turf experience. He's facing older horses and he's only making his second start. But he's he's hard to not talk about when you're talking looking at this race because he could be any kind. He's bred to be. The six was the other one on my radar in here. That's Classy Whisper, who's you know last four consecutive races are all pretty good, and you know we can say that maybe a little too far going the mile in the sixteenth last time out. 
You got back-to-back victories at the seven furlongs and then the mile. So the seven and a half hits him right between the eyes. May 28th, he, he may have needed that race coming off the bench. And so now look at the pattern. Everything makes sense. He stepped forward in his second start. He stepped forward again in his third start. And then he sort of paired that up again next time. And as the form cycle starts back over. So, uh, yeah, not a lot of knocks here. I went eight, five, two, six in race number four. As we move to the fifth race, this one's a fun one. It's seven furlongs on the turf. These are two-year-old fillies. So I like the eight. I'm going to watch this race that the eight comes out of. This was on June, uh, July the 22nd, both the 6, 12, uh, actually in the 10 too. So all three of them were in here. So that's uh, Creval de Oro, Nantucket's Day, <clears throat> and Magic Token. So let's watch... This race from July the 22nd, we'll be looking at the 6, 10, and 12. This field about to go. Hey, Robert. How you doing? Robert Geller. For the purpose of this particular replay, let's be focusing in on the number six here. So, fine start. Like mid-pack or so, just behind some of the early leaders. And you'll see Air Rosa, your 6-5 to favorite, gets out front. That's the horse who ends up winning this race. So, your winner... Gets out front, goes gate to wire, doesn't have to deal with any other pressure. Now, watch the six horse settling in sixth right now behind horses, was down inside, backs up a little bit, and is sitting in a good spot, is traveling pretty well. She really does show me some ability in here. She like she just is traveling well and she runs nicely in spots, but she's facing a lone speed winner and you can see in the stretch, she's a little bit green right here. She's looking for somewhere to go. Okay. She's going to look, look, doesn't want to go in between shift to the outside. And now she comes a running and she makes a nice little bid up into contention, but she starts zigging and zagging a little green in the stretch, but I thought a good effort. You understand why she can't get to the leader that day. She's sort of gaining on the runner up the horse who's right in front of her. And then, you know, we, while we were focusing in, on the six, obviously, here comes the 12, not far behind. This is Nantucket's Day, who's also in this race, and I think also could be a player. I wouldn't want to leave that one out of your pick five. As Nantucket's Day comes storming down the outside with this red cap, and now, keep in mind, both of these fillies who are late runners in this race, chasing a lone speed winner, they'll get another furlong, or half furlong. They were coming, they were going six and a half, now they'll get to seven in here. and. We should get a fair price. Like I think five to one plus on Creval Oro. Very fair. Uh, the four looks like the horse to beat. Stormcast has been in the mix through bo- in both. Uh, the dam was good on the turf too. It was a five-time winner on the grass. Was a multiple stakes winner. Was multiple graded stakes placed on the turf. Two winning turf siblings to report. And this one is... The most proven speed in here. This horse was third in a stakes race last time out. We do have to have some questions about the going seven furlongs, but in it throughout. Eight for the six Destiny Row. Just seems logical. A couple of winning sibs for a barn who's really good on the turf. Really good first time out. Top-notch connections. Should be a fair price in a wide open race. I'm throwing the six destiny row into the pick fives. We spoke about the 12 already. Nantucket's day, who was behind uh, the aforementioned Creval de Oro. 
Heck, this is such a tough race. Uh, people will be using many more in here. What's wrong with the seven simply in front? The dam didn't win on the turf, but hit the board in four of seven. Both siblings were turf stakes winners. So look, the dam, while not a winner, definitely showed ability on the turf, was a runner-up to Lady Eli. And then you have Churchtown, who was a stakes winner on the grass, honor to Lady, stakes winner on the turf. Very turfy for simply in front. Just a barn that's not necessarily always the best first time out. That's why I had this one more of an under and one of the last to use. What about the nine? Dam was two for three on the turf. The lone sib only tried grass once and was third on it. And this barn is two for their last eight with first time starters. So check this out. When you dive into the formulator past performances here, you can go to the database and then you can click anything you know you, know you want. So we can look at first time starters. With this barn, over the last five years sample size, they've won with three of their last 27. But as I mentioned, two of the last eight. And look at the last eight races. of The last eight times this barn has sent out a first-time starter. First, fourth, fourth, third, third, second, second, first, third, fourth. All of these first-time starters are running, right? They're all coming out live. They're all putting in good efforts even when they're not winning. Something to keep an eye on with the number nine. So... 8, 4, 6, 12 for me all over the place. Those will be the 4. Uh, the 8, I'll build some around. I'll play some uh, win money. And then if you need to go a little deeper, 7 and 9 would both be on the, the deeper ones for me. And then we get to race number 6. Maiden special 8. 3-year-olds and up going a mile on the turf course here. The number 4, Rebel Faith. Interesting to me. This one's just naturally one of the quicker horses in here. Who gets the lead in this race? One's not fast. Two's not fast. Three is not fast. Five is not fast. Six has that race in the debut in the slop that seems like he's got a little bit of speed at least. And I think he has to be used because of that. He has shown a little speed in that race on the slop at Ellis. Then comes over here to Woodbine. Not a bad effort closing behind AHA Moment, who sits a really nice trip. And then AHA Moment comes back to win next out and earns a nice speed figure in doing so. So six is in the mix for me. The four... I think because he's fresh, he hasn't raced since November of 2022. So, you know, the layoff is definitely something to worry about. But he just might naturally be one of the quicker horses in here. I could see him being fresh, being aggressive off the bench. I'm going to use him in case he gets out front. And that's what could make this race really difficult to handicap because if any one of these horses and their trainers, owners, jockeys have gotten together and said, let's get aggressive and everyone else sort of sits off, Whomever that is will have a big shot. Like maybe it's King Elvis from the inside. They try to get aggressive. This horse got bet in both. And he exits some strong races. But he, again, like Rebel Faith, hasn't raced since last year. I'm going to go four, six, and two. Mr. Nobility is the horse to beat. He was inside. He was fifth, sixth or so early. He was only about three lengths off. He was traveling well. He was behind horses. He made a big move, kind of shifting out and up to the lead. He was in the four path battling early in the stretch and then he faded, you know, but we're, you know, again, looking at in this race, a lot of question marks because the one hasn't raced since October of 2022. The two hasn't raced since August of 2022. The three horse while having more recency hasn't been closer than beaten five lengths. The four hasn't raced since last year. 
The five has a lot of gaps in the running lines did run in June, but that was just the first start of the year and has a layoff prior to that. And then over in Ollie at least has some foundation. So I think because of that, he's a must use four, six, two in the sixth for me. Let's keep going and talk about the two stakes races on the card for Saturday in the seventh race. The one feels like a standout just on class in here. This Philly had legitimate trouble at Belmont on June the 9th and was only beaten a length and three quarters against graded stakes company and then came back and was second last time out in the Hendry right here at graded stakes. So quality Philly, she draws the rail. I think if you're trying to beat her or if you want to maybe knock those who key on her, that would that could be one of your concerns is there's a lot of speed in this race and she has the rail draw. So if they try to get aggressive and she gets in tight down there, Hard edge is really fast. Run for the hills wants to be close. Forest drift wants to be close and forwardly placed in here. And Van Tarsi wants to be close. And Canadian Sweetheart. Like all of these horses pretty much want to be right up on the lead and are very fast. So it's going to come down to the, the tactics for the one. That's why I think if you're trying to beat her, it's probably with the two. Talk to you later who should get that type of trip, who should be able to come running and should just take back, let all that early pace go and burn each other out and then come flying. So for me, if we can get close to three to one or above on talk to you later, that would be the play for me, just the way this race shapes up. But the one could be really tough. Like if they just take back and sit third or fourth from the inside and don't get caught up in the pace, she'll be pretty tough to hold off. Let's go to the ninth race. It is the grade two King Edward. We're going to be going a mile on the turf in here. A couple to keep an eye on. You got Pau Alto, who's going to make the second start back. He's going to get Lasix for the first time. This is a group, multiple group stakes winner, I believe. No, just the group two winner, right? Yeah, back in February of 2022, sits the trip, comes running, feels like a player in here. Actually thought at a nice price if you're playing any sorts of exotics. Maybe the three, the Minster gets in the mix here. He looks like the one to catch. He's going to go second start off the bench, and he gets back to grass in here, stretching out to a mile. He was in that sprint race, and he was on the lead. That's going to really sharpen up his speed for him now stretching back out. And then you have the seven is a really nice horse, Treason. He's good on both surfaces, and... You can see he's a five-year-old, and he's only raced eight times, so he's had some issues just stringing a bunch of races together. But he's been good, especially uh, in the Josie Carroll barn as of late. And he lost to, I believe, his stablemate Tyson in the most recent race, and then Tyson came back and won the Seagram Cup in his next start. He's a really nice horse, too. I would probably take a shot against... Cheryl Spate on the win end here. No doubt classy. And if he's ready to rock and roll or gives, you know, his best effort, he could win this race for sure. But I don't know if this is what they're aiming for, right? This is a likely prep for the Woodbine Mile. So could we see him okay here and then try to peak in that race? I think that might be the plan. So I'll try to beat him on the win end. The other one that was worth mentioning is Lucky Score. He's really honest. He, you know, we do have some question marks going a mile. 
he feels like with his running style, it shouldn't be a problem. But you never know. With a lot of these horses, they'll flatten out, and they just want to make that short little burst. But he's at least an under horse to me. I'm going to go 7-3-1-9 is how I play this. And I mean, I would use Cheryl Spate under, but if you're playing multi-exotics, I'm I'm taking a swing against Cheryl Spate on the win end. There's a look at Saturday at Woodbine, the early pick five, and a look at a couple of the stakes races there. Don't forget about Sunday, big day. Come and hang out with us on Sunday morning, 11 o'clock a.m. Eastern time. Barry Spears is going to join me. We're going to run through some of the big races on the Sunday card. It is King's Plate Day at Woodbine. Remember, head to drf.com and go to DRF Bets. You can get these past performances for free. Good luck on Saturday at Woodbine. Let's dive into Saturday for Saratoga. We have three best bets, and uh, we look at a couple of the great stakes races for our best plays. We're going to look at Saturday, August the 19th. I want to remind everybody that the DRF Daily Racing Forum has a full Saratoga handicapping store with past performances, DRF picks, clocker reports, and then on Saturday, betting strategies, individual race betting strategies, picks for each race, analysis, suggested wagers from David Aragona and Mike Beer. Every Saturday, you can get those betting strategies. So I'm going to take a look at a couple races on Saturday. There are a few graded stakes races on the card. I have three plays throughout the day that I want to uh, take a look at. Now, remember, I'm going to be looking at the daily racing form formulator past performances you can actually get these past performances for free when you sign up for drf bets use the promo code winning deposit 250 bucks because they'll match it all the way up to that so your 250 immediately becomes 500 they give you a 10 dollars free bet for registering and then they give you 10 free drf past performances following that if you're betting you won't be spending money on pps because every time you bet 50 bucks you get another credit for another card there so let's take a look at Saturday, and I'm going to look at the two graded stakes races, and we'll look at one more race on the card with 7, 9, and 10 for me. Seventh race is the grade 2 Lake Placid, and it just feels like there's a lot of speed in this race, a lot of early speed. Heavenly Sunday, he can sit. She can sit a little bit, but she wants to go. Her best races are when she's right on the front end. You've got Glorious Princess, who's fast. She really wants to go. She wants to be forwardly placed in here. You've got Soviet Excess. I think she really wants to be close up, and she wants to sit in here. Surge Capacity. She also wants to be close up. She showed in her last start, though. She has no problem sitting. And then you have Prerequisite. He, uh, she wants to be forwardly placed. So I think in this field, there's going to be enough speed to where they're they're going pretty good and they're, there's an honest enough pace in here. And so now I'm, I'm looking at horses who I think can be sitting and coming from off the pace. That'll give me a few. Asprey fits really well. She looks like she should get the setup. Like no real knocks on her. I just sort of, think that the four tax implications could get the same sort of trip and might be able to offer us a little bit better value. So you have Asprey who comes out of the Belmont Oaks where, whereas you have tax implications who comes out of a grade three and she's now going to go third start off the bench. She looks like she's improving. She feels like she's going to get the trip. And in both of her last two starts, it's not as if she was 
bad. She just had to move early. In another one, she was wide last time out when surge capacity was able to get that inside trip. Sometimes when you look at races, it just feels like there's a horse who right horse, right race, right price could get the right the right trip. All of that coming together. And I feel like that's ta- tax implications in here as long as she is 7 to 2 plus. We want obviously her closer to her morning line, but if she is in that 4 to 1 and above range, I think that's a very fair price and I think it feels like a great spot for tax implications here. Because it's a contentious race And I'm, it's not as if some of these Speed horses are all one dimensional But I do think their best races are all When they're really close to the lead So they'll at least be kind of jockeying for position Early and then maybe try to take back And if they go quick enough early And all soften each other up a bit Tax implications Gets the trip The number 4 in race number 7 5 to 1 I wouldn't want to play lower than 7 to 2 though On that one we move to race number nine. This one is the grade one Alabama three-year-old Phillies going a mile and a quarter here. Sacred Wish was very, very honest. She was right in between Wet Paint and Gambling Girl in the CCA Oaks. They both come back. Wet Paint, logical. She's the horse to beat. With her running style, though, she's always sort of fun to line up against because you know she's not going to be right on the lead. Other horses might be able to get the jump on her. So... Continuing through the field, you have Chocolate Gelato, who will make the second start back this year. Gambling Girl, she'll make her second start back since the Kentucky Oaks. Randomize was a nice winner last time out against Softer. Earned a good speed figure in doing so. The horse who I'm going to end up on is Defining Purpose. She was a winner in the Kentucky Oaks last time out, and yes, she did get a pretty soft trip, but... She's that type of filly where she really does put herself in a good spot m- more times than not. Now, I think with her kind of cruising style, she'll just be able to sort of stay out of some trouble. She can sit anywhere, I think, in that like two, three, four range from the outside, tuck in, and she can try to get the jump on wet paint and some and gambling girl and some of the deeper closers who maybe they like this distance a little bit more. Maybe they're even better horses than her overall, but she could get a trip and her best races are certainly right in the mix with the rest of this group. She's not out of contention in here at all. Second start back from the Oaks, put a line through the Kentucky Oaks. And then the two times she faced West, uh, she was behind wet paint in the races at Oaklawn. Those races were both on a wet track, a wet track and a sloppy track. So we could say if it's not a wet track, perhaps she could turn the tables. At least have a reason to think so. And she's offering you nice value. She beat Taxed in her most recent start. She's gotten the better. You know, she's a grade one winner. Defining Purpose. My value line for her was six. I needed at least six to one to play Defining Purpose in the Alabama. And then in the race following this, there's a horse who won last time out, Whisper Not, and was so, so impressive. I made a note uh, when he won because I played him in that race. I think I, I used him in one of – it wasn't like I was – I didn't bet him to win. I don't think I, he was one of three or four horses I used in, in the pick fours in, in that race in particular. But he had trouble at Churchill on May the 25th. Before that, he had like legitimate trouble maybe three races in a row prior to that. So he was sort of due for a big all-coming-together race. And – there's no he can win this race right back. It's at the same sort of spot. He's not going to be as big of a price. He was 14 to 1, but I have a feeling he could 
maybe get forgotten about in this spot. He was really wide in that race. It was the type of race you just don't normally see win on the grass. It was like a dirt type trip where you're just really wide in a big field. Whisper not. Make sure to throw him in your late exotics. And if he is in that five to one ish range, he's nine to two on the morning line. That's fair for his opportunity to win this race. He fits very well with this group. Whisper not. Sometimes it happens. You have trouble, 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 right? And then you, you have a couple races where you just, it swings the other way for you. A couple horses I'm looking at for Saturday at Saratoga. Remember to head to drf.com for the Saratoga handicapping store. Everything you need to succeed every day at Saratoga, past performances, DRF picks, clocker reports, and betting strategies on Saturdays. Good luck. One of the longtime sponsors of That's What G Said podcast is full-service realtor Cindy Carava. Now, as a full-service realtor, she can help you out with buying, with selling, with leasing. She can help connect you to the right type of vendors if you're looking for home improvement and you need help finding a good gardener or landscaper, painter, someone that she knows and she has experience working with. Maybe the loan process has been difficult for you. She will help you out. She'll connect you to the right lender that will help make that easier for you. That's her job. She just wants to make life easier for you. She's going to answer a lot of the questions that you have, things that aren't even on your radar. She will make sure they get taken care of. So much less stress when you contact Cindy Carava, C-I-N-D-Y-C-A-R-A-V-A.com. Let's move into Saturday, Louisiana Downs, best bets, and then we'll get to Saturday, Del Mar. Saturday racing out at Louisiana Downs. I have a couple best bets for Louisiana on Saturday, August the 19th. I'm going to look at the daily racing form, past performances. Encourage all of you to do the same because you can get these for free when you sign up for DRF bets right off the bat. When you use the promo code winning and deposit 250 bucks, they will match that deposit all the way up to 250. So put in the 250, it'll turn into 500. They give you a $10 free bet, and then they give you 10 free past performances, 10 free cards. A card is each track that you're going to look at. So one card would be Louisiana Downs for August the 19th. You'll get 10 of them right away. Then every time you bet another 50 bucks with DRF bets, you'll get credit for another DRF card i like the formulator ones because they can give you lots of fun tools and uh great resources when you're handicapping the races let's take a look at my two best bets for saturday at louisiana remember major key wagers to play low takeout pick four and pick five at louisiana downs and then the win play show wager 17 percent really good when you compare to a lot of the others so uh I always try to look at whatever the low takeout wagers for each particular track, and that's where you want to put a lot of your bankroll. You get the most of your money back, right? Race number one. Let's go to the outside. This is a 5,000 non-winners of two, and it's Louisiana bread race. An Ocean Kiss is the type of horse I like to play in races like this. He's lightly raced. He hasn't done a whole lot wrong, so you don't see him beaten 15, 20, 25 times, and everything makes sense. His career debut earlier this year at February at Delta was very good. It was a Louisiana bred race against Maiden 10 claimers. He was second that day. He came back in his next start. He was favored, but it was an off track, so he didn't really fire that day. And then he was off for a few months from March to May. He showed back up in May here at Louisiana, 
They faced open $7,500 claimers. He showed a little bit of early speed and then he packed it in. And when you see a speed horse just back up and they're beaten like 50 lengths, it doesn't bother me at all because what we are looking for when you play a speed horse is did they show their speed? That to me is more important than where they finished after showing some early speed, because when you back up like that, usually something went wrong. And then particular ocean kits bounces back in his next start. And he shows that he can sit off a little bit. So now we know he has some early speed. He can also sit and pass horses. This will really be the first time in his career that he's able to put two starts together. Because when he made his second start that we thought he was going to really take a big step forward on March the 10th, it was on an off track. So if conditions are nice for him, we know he's drawn well. We know he can sit. And we know this barn has had a fantastic meet so far. Everything they're sending out is live. Winning at 45% with five winners in 11 starts. And the other couple hit the board. Ocean Kiss is 5-1 to one on the morning line. If we can get anything over three, I think that's fair value in here. Looking for 7-2-ish to two -ish plus on the number eight, Ocean Kiss, in the first on Saturday at Louisiana Downs. Let's move to race number six. This one is a little small stakes race here for Alabama Breads. And I'm going to go to the number seven, Foolish Steve, who's just really consistent overall. And what I like about him, too, he's a he's a win machine. He's an 11-time winner. He's a seven-year-old. In the last couple of races, he's come from off the pace a little bit more. He's fine being right on the lead or sitting just off. He can adapt to whatever pace scenario need be. And again, another barn who's sent in really live runners throughout the meet. Foolish Steve is four to one on the morning line. He likes this trip. He likes this track. Foolish Steve, the number seven in race number six at Louisiana on Saturday. So a couple plays for you on Saturday. Best of luck. And make sure to give a follow to a track announcer, John McGarry. Roxanne Tanner does the on-track handicapping there and analysis. They're always great help if you need anything else playing the races over at Louisiana Downs. Good luck on Saturday. Del Mar Oaks is the feature on Saturday, August the 19th. I'm going to take a look at that race and two other races on the card. A couple best bets for Saturday at Del Mar. Whenever you're playing the races at Del Mar, you have to head to drf.com. They have a full Del Mar handicapping store. So you can get the PPs to start, the past performances, then DRF picks if you need help there, clocker reports for the first-time starters, horses coming off long layoffs, and then every Saturday you can get help with the betting strategies, how are you going to play the races, some written analysis and selections and uh, suggested wagers there. So Del Mar handicapping store at DRF. Dot com. I'm going to take a look at three races for Saturday. Let's look at races three, four, and eight for Del Mar for Saturday. Now, keep in mind, there's a weird uh, weather coming through, like a big tropical hurricane, they're saying. And it looks like it could impact Del Mar on Sunday. I don't know if it's going to be that way on Saturday, but just something to monitor with kind of bizarre weather coming through San Diego in the, the later part of the weekend. Race number three, we're going to dive in and look at Fratelli. We can actually watch his race last time out. And keep in mind, so the race we're watching right now for Fratelli, he's the number two in the replay. This is his first start since December of 2021. So 
in this race, he's been off for 18 months and he just does not have an easy trip. He's a little fresh off the bench as expected. And because he gets the inside draw, they're trying to push through and you can see he's right here on the lead, but does he want to keep going in battle? And it's just really tight there. So he has to back up a little bit and then he gets sort of pushed back, but he's sitting in a nice spot right behind that, you know, lineup of four right across the track that are battling it out for the lead. But he just never really gets an opportunity to, to kind of push through the inside here. He's sort of waiting and he's waiting. And then the five's kind of making him in a real tight spot down there. And he's still waiting and just sort of holding his position. But right here, he has a little bit of room to go inside. It just, he doesn't really want to go there. You could see he's trying to put him in that spot. He's just not really hitting it. He even wants to get off and they try to shift him off the rail a little bit. And honestly, the shifting off may have cost him like two or three positions. And he's just a little tired late too, because that was his first start since December of 2021. But he, he has the inside draw and that's what could be a little bit tricky because he's fast. He can sit a little like we saw right there. I I think he can sit behind horses and pass, but going six and a half from the rail like this it's probably go time. So I'm expecting him to be forwardly placed in here, pushing through the inside. The number one, Fratelli, who is six to one on the morning line. Let's see where are we going next. Right next door, we've got Mocha Grande, the number one, who's going to be making a second start for John Sadler. The blinkers will come on, and he and she will go from five furlongs on the dirt and stretch out to a mile on the turf. She comes out of a strong race in her career debut. The winner, Dua, was a highly regarded Baffert runner who came back and was third in the Sorrento and was under two to one in there. And Mocha Grande just sort of looked like a horse who needs a little more ground. They paid four and seventy five thousand for this horse, and now the blinkers will come on. She gets to stretch out and try turf. I wasn't overwhelmed by a lot of the first time starters in here. Much of the time when horses debut going long, it's usually because they don't have a lot of early speed. It's not always the case. Sometimes they're just bred to go long or they wanted to get a turf race in them. But a lot of the times it's because they're just not that fast early. I could see the one with the inside draw, the race under her belt. She's got experience now. Blinks, just go. Just get aggressive. So her damn one on the turf. So... Has every reason to like the turf with the blinkers coming on. And then one other thing that I, I noticed with Sadler in particular, they've been really struggling with their first-time starters as of late. So look at first-time starters. Looks fine, right? Like 14% over the last five years. But then <clears throat> let's go to just the last year. And we plug that in. Over 29. There hasn't been a first-time starter that's won in the last calendar year. since. Right before Accelerina. So the barn's been struggling a little bit with first time starters. Then when you go to the second time starters, it's not as if it's like overwhelming, but just changing from first to second. Now you're looking at a barn who's won with four of those horses making their second start. And in this particular race, it's like looking at the rest of the field. I hope the plan is to try to get aggressive with Mocha Grande eight to one on the morning line. I wouldn't want to take less than six. On her in this spot. 
Let's move to the grade one. Delmar Oaks going to go as race number eight. And I'm a big fan of window shopping this filly just overall. And it's, again, a nice spot for her. It's a contentious race. And so that's why she'll probably be offering you fine value in that five to one or so range because there's a lot of ways to go in here. It's a field of 10. A horse like Paris Secret you could be talked into off of trouble. Be your best as a player. Absolutely zero. We have to see a little bit more from on the turf here, but Big Pond has done no wrong in those two races, and this is a big-time test for her, but she's she's kind of got some sneaky ability. Impact Warrior was right there in a turf race that would fit last time out. You have Anna Set, who's the one to beat. Ruby Nell, second off the bench. She's got some speed. She can sit. It's a good race. But window shopping to me, her two wins really impressive. Her two defeats are in races where she had legitimate trouble, brutal trips in those races. That debut race on the turf in November of 2022, she had about as bad of a trip as you could have. And it was more than just at the start. It was brutal and then traffic throughout. She comes back and she crushes in her first start as a three-year-old in March. And then she's in the San Anita Oaks, and she has a brutal trip there. Bad trip. She comes back in June, and she wins nicely. And she's shown improvement in each race. Turf, dirt, I don't think it matters for her, honestly. She's just really, really talented. Window shopping, 6-1 to one on the morning line. I won at least four on her. That 7-2 to plus, don't want to take more, less than that because it's just a wide-open race. So demand value wherever you go. If you like someone else in here, make sure you get a little bit. Like Anna said, is the horse to beat. That's probably why I wouldn't bet her here because there will be a little more intrigue with playing a, some five to one-ish or above horses in this field. There's a look at Delmar for Saturday. Don't forget about the Delmar Handicapping Store at DRF.com. Everything you need to succeed at Delmar each and every day. Good luck on Saturday. Covered a lot of ground on Saturday. Woodbine, Saratoga, Louisiana, Del Mar. Hopefully we could lead you to a few winners all over the place. Sunday, it is King's Plate at Woodbine. I'm going to do a live stream on Sunday morning with Barry Spears, 11 o'clock a.m. Eastern time. Come hang out with us as we get you all set up for the big Sunday at Woodbine with the King's Plate. We're going to finish up with wrestling with Chad Cooper, but don't forget about our uh, our friends over at Sarah Candles, folks, C-E-R-A candles.com. If you like candles or if you know someone who does, maybe you're just looking for a good gift to get somebody, check out these candles. They're different. You can tell the story. They're non-toxic. They're healthier. They're better for you. These are soy wax candles, no carcinogens, no pollutants. And when you use the promo code G-I-N-O, it'll get you 10% off your purchase. Check out our friends over at Sarah Candles, C-E-R-A Candles.com. This week in wrestling with Chad Cooper. Coming off a horrible episode of AEW Dynamite, but they have a huge show coming soon. So really mixed signals and mixed feelings about them. And then on the flip side... WWE is firing on all cylinders. It's like certain teams, right? A few years ago, AEW was much a uh, much harder product, and right now it feels like WWE is really the uh, the hotter product. So we get into everything in AEW, Raw, SmackDown, NXT on this week in wrestling with Chad Cooper. Here it is, folks! Fight of the night. I'm trying to claim that belt once and for all. It's this week's wrestling recap. 
All right, calm down. And here he is, your hometown hero, your reigning champ, the one and only Chad Cooper. We've been gone for a few weeks. Real world, real life stuff ended up getting in the way, but we are back talking wrestling, everything going on in the world of wrestling, WWE, Raw, SmackDown, NXT, and AEW. Coopaloop, Chad Coop joins me. And Coop, we wouldn't start on the AEW side because what's funny about right now is we are, I think, like about a week, just over a week away from what what could go down as the most attended wrestling show in history honestly because we know that WWE with WrestleMania 3 some of the numbers were fudged sometimes WWE would do that and from all reports AEW has sold over 80,000 actual tickets for their show in Wembley and we got to give them tons of credit for that that's a great accomplishment but it feels so strange to me Chad because I don't think AEW has ever been colder over here than it is right now. So at the same time, while the ratings haven't been great, there's not really good buzz. I honestly saw AEW fans talking about Dynamite as one of the worst shows they've ever seen AEW put out this last week. But then at the same time, they've got this huge show that's going to break all these records. It seems so strange that at the same time, when they're struggling over here, they're gonna about to do so well overseas in the UK. It it wouldn't have shocked me if this was a couple years ago, right? Because AEW had a really good buzz a few years ago when they were new. They had that new car smell. WWE wasn't in the greatest place, and now it has just totally flipped. First and foremost, it's good to be back with you here, Gino. On oh uh, yeah. Oh yeah, I need I need some Coop Loop in my weekly <laughs> my weekly dose of Coop in my life. Uh, uh, you have nailed it. Um, it just what we're a week, maybe two weeks out, um, and what there's one, two matches that we think we we know MJF and Adam Cole are going to be the main event. We also know they're going to be in the pre-show, which is absolutely absurd to me. Uh, absurd we don't even after after dynamite show on this past wednesday night we don't even know there's not even a, any matches or announced for dynamite next week I, I don't think anything was announced i think they're in disarray um they, we'll get to we'll get to all the punk stuff but just as you and i are recording this Plans could even change further. Cash Wheeler was ar- arrested overnight or early morning hours in Orlando for aggravated assault. Ugh. So I don't know what's going to happen here. It just seems like they're falling apart at the seams. And it is just like, you know, you're trying to put bubble gum on springs of water coming out. And it's just not holding. So AEW, not the greatest buzz right now because – You've got some of the negative punk stuff. A lot of people inside the roster and inside the company are frustrated because they feel like punk's been given the keys to the castle again. And there's incidents happening with him on collision. And then over on dynamite, we're hearing that there's some concerns about the leadership overall with Tony Khan. Cause again, um, I think what we're seeing is they they've done a good, a better job than I think a lot of people figured they would in this last 
in the four or five year period to start. The problem is now you got to step forward, right? Are you going to be a company that's growing or are you going to be a company that was sort of a flash in the pan and kind of stays here? I'm not acting like they're not making money or they didn't do well, but there's so many little things um, that I wonder now. I've been to one AEW show, so I didn't really notice this, but every time I'm listening to like Wade Keller or to a show where they'll have people that went, they talk about how they don't have like a really good merch Stand. That's just like a weird thing. Like, yeah, how can after yeah. five years you not have a better merch stand at your shows when you kind of came up being a t-shirt company, right? That was the joke <laughs> about them that people used to say they were a t-shirt yeah, company because they was look before they AEW was had their first taping. Uh, you could get AEW merch at like Spencer's and Hot mm-hmm. Topic, and it was an exclusive deal, and they were always sold out. You know, because it was something to get, and now you don't see any merch anywhere, and it's quite the opposite with WWE. So it's it's strange to me, too, because what I think is starting to happen with AEW is you know you're going to get good wrestling all the time, but I think the lack of storytelling is really starting to catch up with them. Well, somewhat, Gino. You know, the last couple of weeks, I mean, Dynamite, I mean— it starts off okay, and then the rails just fell off. When I'm not kidding, I really think that this most recent Dynamite was the worst show, the worst AEW show I've ever seen. And, and it, <laughs> all of the complaints about WWE and like why you wouldn't want to watch WWE were like on this last show. This was one of those shows where when you're watching. And your girlfriend or your wife or somebody walks in the room, you're like embarrassed of what you're watching, what's on the TV. You know that that felt like one. And WWE has plenty, right? Um, this the Leatherface thing reminded me of the the zombies match that got everybody sure, riled sure. up because it was just a promotional tool. And we've got Jeff Jarrett and Jeff Hardy. They're pouring fake batches of bats of blood on each other. <laughs> Jeff, they're all dressed up in like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. To promote a video game And then we have Someone come out dressed up like Leatherface Which okay But they don't they don't ever unmask Like we never even <laughs> find out who it was So we're just supposed to believe It was actually Leatherface You know what I mean it wasn't like Oh look there's Matt Hardy he put the Leatherface mask on Wait, no it was actually Leatherface where's Robocop When we need him you know <laughs> Yeah like, <laughs> That's a good point. Robocop. Boy, that was a good one. And I, um, it's just been difficult. It's, it's it's been hard. It's just been hard to go through their shows and take seriously. Um, you know, it goes back to weeks where, where we had MJF and Cole and two weeks ago, it's Cole. Hey, you know, it's my lifelong goal to, to, to win the Ring of Honor Tag Team Championships. What? I've never been able to do that, really. Let's do it on the pre-show. Huh? Now, let me say, I don't mind the idea of running, if, like, if you had, like, a tournament, or if there was some, if you want to do an angle, or you wanted to do a backstage segment that helped set up or lead to, to more on the main event, I'm fine with that. I don't mind that idea. It's what WWE used to do, right? They would use the the, the free-for-all to try to get you to buy that pay-per-view, you know? 
Um, but you're going to risk MJF and Adam Cole's health in the kickoff match for the Ring of Honor Tag Team Championships? <laughs> like, what if one of the guys gets hurt and then they can't go put on their 25-minute main event or whatever it's supposed to be? I I don't know. I don't think that's a smart idea. And We haven't I'm, even touched the punk stuff that's been leaking out daily. You know, him and Ryan Nemeth, and then Hangman, and, and he supposedly maybe work things out. It just seems like stuff is leaking every day on Punk, and I, I just don't know if it's internal sabotage or not, but, you know, your collision ratings on Saturday are steady at about 400,000. That's going to be cut in half. Keep in, in mind, weeks. I was going to say, football season's two That's weeks gonna away. That's going to be cut in half in two yeah. weeks. Well, right. that, and that, that like for it maybe it may not be that first like zero week of college football, but the first week when they have games on CBS, NBC, ABC, Fox, ESPN, ESPN <laughs> two, Fox Sports one, the Pac twelve network, the the Big Twelve, they're gonna have games on all of those channels starting at seven o'clock p.m. Eastern time. Oh yeah, oh yeah, because that's that late next round of games when they start. So it, it is funny, as we've said, Collision's a better show. Sure. It's just a much better wrestling show. And, and you can sense that Collision, they take their time. And and whether or not he's kind of a dick, CM Punk, it <laughs> seems like he he takes personally some of the things that happen on Collision on camera. It's almost like he's backstage booking a lot of the stuff like, hey, slow that down. We heard that he told Jack Perry, we're not going to use a real glass with something. You know what? I actually think that's a smart idea. Like he's yes. telling a, he's a veteran telling a younger guy, you don't need to blade there, right? Like we can figure out a better way of doing it. I don't mind that advice. It's just with CM Punk, how long is the shelf life? You always wonder before something goes wrong. And what do we think about the gimmick with the AEW title with the spray painted X? I mean, it, it only it I'm only okay with it. In if it doesn't go on for more than like another week without MJF addressing it, because why right. isn't MJF addressing this? That that's the question I have because MJF has been on collision with that the title same night when it. he's brought that title out, and it's like, <laughs> it's like wait a minute, I didn't say anything. The MJF we know would have said, "What are you talking about? Well, My yeah. title is the real title," and he would have cut out a kind of cut a promo on him. Have they now put themselves in a really bad spot because they've got? A big show coming up in a week and a half, all in, and then a week later they have all out. And right. what we've seen with AEW, they don't know how to build to big matches, and they don't know how to have matches culminate at pay-per-views. We've seen it a few times with Forbidden Door, but now it's with every pay-per-view where instead of having weekly builds. I didn't know who the hell most of the roster was going to be wrestling. Like the only thing I knew was there was going to be something with Adam Cole and MJF over the last month. We didn't know know, Kenny Omega, for example. I think a lot of people assumed he would be wrestling Takeshita one-on-one or another match with Will Ospreay one-on-one. We're not getting that. We're getting Kenny Omega in just like a random six-man tag. (laughs) That's bizarre. It is. You've got Omega and Paige both in six-man tags when they could be two of your bigger stars in singles matches there. And then you have, I, I got to say, what the hell was that segment with Jericho and Callis 
I don't know <laughs> what it, for like I I generally like a lot of those. I love Jericho. You love Jericho. We talk sure. about him all the time. He's one of the goats. The segment was so weird because Callis sets it up like he's got he's going to celebrate with Jericho because Jericho is going to join him. And then Jericho says, yeah, I am going to join you. But Callis was surprised. He never thought he was going to join him. So in the ring, there's a painting of Callis like holding Jericho's head. And the way that it all unfolded, it was so clunky. Like it just, it didn't make any sense from a logistical standpoint. Why the hell would Don Callis have done that? Like, why would he have brought that out sitting there? That's something that like Jericho could have found in his office, right? You know, he had it made just in case, but he's going to bring it. Chad, that doesn't make any sense. Like, it doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever. I, I feel like there was this nervous anxiety this week on Dynamite where they felt like, oh, crap, we only have one more episode before All In. We have to throw everything out there right now. And, oh, look, there's another random match that we've set up. Another random match that we've set up. It wasn't good. Like, it just wasn't. No. Well, yeah, and this is supposed to be the biggest show you've ever put on. Does it feel like they're setting up matches here to be the biggest show you ever put on? They Forbidden Door that they just had. Kenny Omega versus Will Ospreay and Brian Danielson versus Okada on paper were two bigger matches than any one match they have on this show. <laughs> no, right? Both of them were. I, I'm, I'm, I'm just like a little concerned because even a lot of the the hardcore AEW fans have been feeling it a, a little bit lately. There just haven't been as many things to get positive about now. The show will come, and a lot of the in-ring work will be good. But is that enough? Isn't this the show that you that you want to be the one that really could be like your WrestleMania one or three, and be the show that took you to the next level? I just don't feel like that's that's happening right now. No, and you know we've continued to say the same thing week after week with AEW, and I. I, I I've accepted the fact they're probably not going to change the MO. This is just what they're going to do. Um, this is apparently what they're comfortable with. Uh, they've sold the tickets, whether legitimately or not. Um, the people are going to show up for the show. And uh, it's uh, whether or not they, they build anything. Um, they're just going to put on a wrestling show. And there's going to be several matches that are really, really good, but it's not going to be that WrestleMania effect before mm-hmm. or after, regardless how many people are in that stadium. It's just not going to happen. Are they going to pull a coup? Are they going to try to bring in a WWE guy that that is no Edge longer is under contract? We've Edge been hearing about, right? Name? You know, are, are, but are what's funny gonna... is one of the rumors with Edge was that it could be Edge and Christian versus FTR. Sure. Right? That sure. was sort of like well, a rumored match <laughs> Uh, who knows if even something like that could happen now, <laughs> sure. but I, um, yeah, it's, it's just such a weird time because it is while they're having this huge show, they just don't feel like they're the company that they were a couple years ago where you're like, oh yeah, everybody, everywhere you go wants to go and, and watch an AEW show. They've just lost a little bit of the steam that they had. And I don't, I'm going through you know, dynamite. They open things up with Orange Cassidy versus Wheeler Yuta, and it's fine. Cassidy does a good job in most of these. Like, the match was solid. It's fine. But then this just led to all night, 
every time there's a match afterwards or in the middle of it, here come four different people yeah. in different factions because they have to set something up for the show now. And it was yes. like, oh, yeah. my God, here's six people, and now they're all in a match. What? It yeah. was really like you could just feel them trying to squeeze everything in, feeling like they didn't have enough time. Why? Like, how can they not have enough time? They have more TV time than anyone, we, than any even WWE does right now for the same, like, main roster. They run shows on Wednesday, Friday, and Saturday. They have two different rosters, really. And then they also have Friday where they can build stuff. And it feels like they're always just jamming all this stuff in in the last minute before. After this match, we get Mox and Claudio. They attack Cassidy. Then Chuck Taylor and Trent Beretta run out for the save. Then the Lucha Brothers come out with Alex (laughs) Ibrahantes. And they go after Claudio, Mox, and Yuta. Then Eddie Kingston comes out and goes after Claudio. He's back from the, he was just in the, the G1 in Japan. And the Blackpool Combat Club, they run out into the audience, into the crowd. And Eddie gets a microphone. Ugh. And then Eddie just says, Stadium Stampede. <laughs> He's like, it, it was like, you could tell that they were rushed for time because they, there was no back and forth at all. You've got Eddie Kingston and Moxley, like two of the guys that you want talking, and you don't even let Moxley say one word or no. anything back at all. No. They just say, Stadium Stampede at Wembley, it's going to be us versus you and whoever else you and draft. anyone else. <laughs> and anyone else. Like, what? So now we're looking like. That old Stadium Stampede, I mean, I tell you what, if it's once a year, you know, sure. It's cool. But yeah. it just seems like we keep going back to it. I know. You know the first one was really, really good. You know, at Jacksonville at the football stadium. Remember, it was the pandemic. You know, so they were they were using uh, Irv Meyer. Irv Meyer was in there, right? Yeah, right. And they're running over people and the team golf carts and Sammy's getting drugged around. That was great. It it, it seems like we've had five or six since then. Since then, and it seems like we've had the same cast of characters involved in those matches. Like, we don't know what to do with them. Let's just throw all these guys in, have some violence. There's going to be people jumping off, you know, uh, tables and buildings. There's going to be lots of blood. We'll drive around. We'll fire up the crowd. I, yeah. It, yeah, they're just throwing things at the wall to get people in now at this point. Because as you said, we are less than two weeks away. So, well, one of the funnier things on Dynamite was when they did the sit-down interview with Kenny Omega. So, it's Kenny and Jim Ross, and they're sitting down one-on-one at Jacksonville, at Daly's <laughs> place. And then all of a sudden, Omega just gets jumped by Don Callis, and they have uh, Juice Robinson and Jay Wright and Takeshita all jump him. And then, like, JR stands up and, like, takes a few steps back. And they just keep cutting to JR watching all of this. And JR's just got no emotion on his face whatsoever. Like, he doesn't, doesn't, he's just, it was so funny as, like, they're trying to act like this is the worst beatdown in the world. And JR's like, yeah, yeah, okay. It was, it was fantastic. Was it it that segment or later on they went back to it regardless? Then they were at the hospital, right? Because Kenny got sent to the hospital. And then Hangman Page is outside drinking a beer at the hospital. It was awesome. the, what then, is going on here? But, but you thing. could tell that Hangman Page was not in front of a hospital. He was standing in front of an ambulance that was parked like inside the arena they were in. 
it was play. It was obviously not a hospital. It was like those are the little things where you're like, that's not a hospital. Like you're just you're not standing in front of one. Um, I don't know if sometimes they think and and WWE like Vince does this. Uh, he used to a storyline. Like do they they think that we're stupid. Honestly, <laughs> like sometimes do they think we're stupid and we're not going to notice, or is it like uh, they're going to play along with the joke? They're they're wrestling. They're like big fans of ours, so they're going to go along with I it. I think it's a little bit of both. I and, think it's a little bit of both. And you and I pointed this out really early on in AEW. It, it's great to have a hot crowd. Everybody wants to have a hot crowd. The point of live entertainment is entertaining your crowd and sending the crowd home happy. That's your job. But when you're talking about long term storytelling, things like pro wrestling, TV shows, right that that have Seasons and and long episodes You can't always have Like just a five star match out there You can't always have a bunch of action Without the story To make you care about the action And I think that's really what's happening right now Is just the lack of storytelling Is really starting to, to impact them Because right now we look around and the only real st- like story that I feel like is being told on AEW is with MJF and Cole. That's like it. It doesn't. So you feel don't like-, like the Don Callis Jericho Appreciation Society gimmick? I don't even understand it anymore. Yeah, there's just so much involved with it, especially on Wednesday night. And, and so, well, again, what was weird? Two weeks ago, they're in Canada. Why didn't they do this segment in yeah, Canada when yeah. Jericho would have been a babyface? Also, sure. you just have. Jericho's entire group, the Jericho Appreciation Society, ter- basically turned babyface. They all one by one got to cut promos and tell Jericho why he was a, an ass and why they're going to move on. And then a week later, he turns babyface. That doesn't make any sense. Oh no! If all of your this, these are the things that they're they're not sitting down in a production meeting and talking about. They they're not sitting down with the storyboard and mapping out. Here's what this is going to be for a month. Here's what's happening next week. And then in two weeks, this happens. Three weeks, this happens. And it all comes together in four weeks. There's none of that going on right now. Because you can tell. You can sense it. You can sense that everybody goes out there, tries to have a really good match, comes back. And to them, building stories isn't important. But that is important to the common viewer, to anyone that's flipping on. Why do they care? About some of these matches being thrown together I'm Yeah I'm, I'm a, like the most probably dis- Disappointed I feel like a parent Talking to one of their children because Even when AEW has Had times where it may not be Exactly your and my Favorite thing I could still look at it and be like Yeah it's they're doing well right now You know it may not be for me But their matches were good or that was a good episode Of Dynamite or they had three or four things On the show that were pretty hot or Man, we're coming off of a weekend with WWE, but they're even talking about AEW. It just doesn't. I'm no, not, not anymore. You, no, no I, you don't. No, you don't. I'm not feeling that. And this and this was what we were worried about for 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 a while. Yeah, I mean this this isn't anything new. We've been talking about. Eventually, it comes to a head, right? And you have to deal with it. And that's the way they're dealing with it. You have, quote unquote, the biggest wrestling show of. Attendance wise, but definitely the biggest wrestling show in AEW history, 100%. followed by another big wrestling show. Oh, oh, I, a I, week I later, just, why? Look, well, why would this, you that even could attempt? Be disastrous. That you could know, be this, disastrous. 
I don't know why you would attempt to do something like this. Me neither. It Me doesn't neither. make it doesn't make sense. It's like they try to get a little too ambitious and money or not, Gino. There's there, there's there's a proper way of going about doing things, and this is definitely not it. Even if you're a massive fan at an age, oh, I can't wait to the biggest wrestling show of all time, and I won't even have time to even digest it because six days later we're gonna have another one. A couple other things to mention from AEW Dynamite. So, um, you know, they're setting up stuff on the show. At the end of that Jericho segment, Callus and Jericho, you know, they get into it. And then Jericho gets attacked by Takeshita. And then here comes Will Ospreay. And it's like, oh, Jericho and Will Ospreay are having a match. What? It just <laughs> came out of absolute nowhere. And Don Callis made a call to Will Osprey. All this stuff is, it's just, why couldn't they have set this up a week or two ago where it's like, you, you saw it a little bit more, you felt it a little bit more. Everything had to be really rushed and just jammed onto this show right away. We then, uh, yeah, we saw the vignette for Jack Perry. He said he's the greatest FTW champion. Um, Joker Sting is back, I guess. TNA Sting. <laughs> He kids he kidnaps um, Prince Nana, and it looks like we're gonna get a match. Is it is it just gonna be, it's gonna be a tag? I guess I apparently think it's a tag. Yeah, I think. <laughs> I yeah, like some of these I don't know. It you know what it feels like too. It feels like they didn't really know what they were gonna do with this show initially. Like right, right. Was was this just supposed to be like a big house show? It almost it almost feels it like felt that, like it. right? Because you've got the one really big match with MJF and Cole, and then there's a lot of other like tag match. Let's get these guys on the card type match instead of having Omega one on one towards the top of the card. Like, why wouldn't you just have a Claudio versus Eddie Kingston one on one match for the you Ring of Honor the, title? You do know the longest match of the evening was Jeff Jarrett and Jeff Hardy. Jeff that was Jarrett the longest match of the night. And Jeff Hardy in a leather face match on MJ uh, on Dynamite. That was it just all time so... bad. Yeah, it, 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 even AEW uh Mark. There, it, there it, were it just, it just felt bad. A few people I saw trying to defend that and I don't think like it just it just can't be defended. I mean, was Jason um, Voorhees not available? I know. It just um, Wade Keller will do write ups like of the he'll do like the he'll go through each match and then do a little bit of analysis after. And his analysis after that said, "We've heard enough." It's <laughs> Keller's analysis. <laughs> We've heard enough. Right after that match, um, yeah, there sing, was nothing good about this at all. No, it wasn't. It wasn't fun. And even the like, even the MJF Cole segment this week. They go to Outback Steakhouse, and it's just you know, it's like, it's just very, very. It's it's not that creative. It's not. That, it it's wasn't not, that funny. They're like, oh, Australian people. Let's mention Outback and a kangaroo. It's like, <laughs> really? That was that was as creative as you could get. Like we've never heard that before. Um, what do you think is going to happen? You think it's going to be Adam Cole that ends up turning on him? Because another yes. thing that bothers me, they're. We've got Roderick Strong and the Kingdom that they keep teasing, and it feels like those guys are going to have a part in the main event angle. Yeah, 
I, I think Adam Cole turns 100% heel here, and we get the uh, uh, now winning the title. If if you're going to turn heel, does he need to win the title to make that successful? And then you fl- you can flip it back a week later, even if you wanted, right? right. At all out, you could go or, all in and then flip it back, or have him and Punk. I mean, for him to win, he would have to cheat to win. Yes. But he could still lose and turn. I I doubt this is going to be a DQ ending, but I would definitely have it. The the thing about it is. They kind of book themselves into a corner. Yeah. I would definitely do babyface MJF and and CM Punk Punk. the following week for that title. Because I think that because is something... they can work with each other, and that is a, that is a selling point to a match that people want to see whether it's a you've got three or four days to do it or that, not. I was gonna say if that's the you, direction I would go, to. you don't need a whole lot of time to build that match. You don't you, you because have, you go no, no, champion you one, show, one show champion versus rogue champion. Yeah, right there, boom. Yes. Like he just mentions the belt and their history, and that would be fine. And that's probably what they're doing. But man, it just. Feels like they're trying to do so much, and now they've got another show that they're booking with Collision, and then they've got these back-to-back shows coming up, and you're trying to jam it all in. And you know, um, you don't even hear much about uh, Rampage anymore. On oh Friday. no, that's just completely. completely I mean, it is off the map. You know, and, and there's a, there's a lot of people on this roster that you, that you don't hear about. What about um, the acclaimed? We saw, but God, yeah, they don't. They didn't feel- yet have a match. They don't feel near like anything no, close to as a match against two jobbers, and that didn't happen last night. So it looks like they're going to probably have a match with Billy Gunn coming out of retirement, I'd imagine, in in Wembley. But if he comes out of retirement for that match, he's got to win that match, right? They can't lose sure. that match. Um, we had Britt Baker right after. So the, so positives, negatives. The right women seem to be in the women's t- uh, championship match. I think they have the right four, right? It's Tony Storm, it's Soraya, it's Sheeta, and it's Britt. So you kind of get Sheeta at the beginning was a big deal, and then Britt for a long period of time was the big star in the women's division. Tony's been pretty steady for a while, and then you throw yeah. Soraya in there. But I will say the Britt in ring work again, like her versus oh, the Bunny, it just wasn't much. Honestly, no, it's. No. And we definitely, it definitely got helped out by going to what, uh, what do they call it? Commercial in split in screen, commercial split screen. Yeah. Cause yeah. it, I don't, I don't know. know if I it's... did like her jacket, you know, I think oh, that her jacket was, the, was awesome. The all in jacket. The first, yeah. I think that was the all in jacket. I, I, you know, the presentation's there, but it just looks like she's just going through the motions. Yeah. You're totally right. I don't know what happened. It looks a little, God, like she's she just a star. Feels... Yeah, she just feels like you're watching when you're watching her in the ring. If you just feel like you're watching, um, like a practice match almost. Yeah, yeah I agree. Like with that. just it's like the level of it is really slowed down to her. You can like see the spots before and her kind of thinking about the spots before they happen. And we finished up with more blood, <laughs> Billy Gunn uh, <laughs> and and Brody in the back. And then oh, we yeah, get the, that, the, yeah, young, yeah. the Young Bucks versus the Guns, which is, I'll say that it was, it was a fine match. Like, I like the Guns. They're they're good as heels. But you could tell this match started with nine minutes to go in the show. Yeah. So they're just, the entire show, they're, like, behind trying to shove everything in here. And the Young Bucks end up winning. First of all, the Young Bucks attack the Guns during their entrance. 
that's completely backwards. Yeah. Why are the baby faces attacking the heels before the match? Totally backwards. But it was like, oh shit, we don't have very much time. You guys got to go out there and attack them right now because we only have like seven more minutes for this match. <laughs> and and then Young Bucks win on like a cheap roll up. But then as soon as the match is over, here comes FTR. There's just so much going on all the time, Chad. And and for me and you who have watched every episode of AEW Dynamite, Rampages, Collisions, yeah, the they ha- it doesn't feel like they've learned or they're learning from themselves. Like where are some of these producers from WWE backstage helping out on Dynamite? You can sort of feel it on Collision that it's different. You sure. can feel a different show. It doesn't feel like they're jamming everything in. They've got eight matches on the card so far. They've got the pre-show match with Aussie Open versus MJF and Cole. We've got FTR versus the Young Bucks. Sheeta, Tony Storm, Soraya, Britt Baker. We've got Darby Allen and Sting versus the Mogul Embassy. Now, I've been really negative on almost all of this. Let me give a positive. I think the stuff with the Mogul Embassy has been pretty good. Mm-hmm. I think Swerve, and I like AR Fox in there with them. Um, they did a segment a few weeks ago that was like really kind of scary when they attacked Nick Wayne and he's like bleeding and it was very intense. Oh yeah, yeah, it's uh, training, uh, mm-hmm. like training ring thing. I thought that set was up. Cool. Sure. it almost seemed like a the way they filmed it too. It seemed different, but yeah, it seemed like like from a cell phone or something like that. It was it was that was that was well done. But then they don't like show us more, build us more, right. give us more about why this is Back. a tag team coffin match. Sure. It's a coffin match, really? <laughs> like, what? Why? And then again, we got a six-man tag. Kota Ibushi, Kenny Omega, and Hangman Page versus Takeshita, Juice Robinson, Jay Wright. You could literally have three singles matches three. and people sure. would be more excited about that. <laughs> you could go Omega versus Jay White and Ibushi, Takeshita, and Page versus Juice. Like, you could combine any three of them individually with the other three, and I think it would get off better than the match. The match will be fine, but is that the best way to use your big stars? We go tag, another tag, six-man tag, and then stadium stampede match, where we still don't know who the three that are going to be on the Blackpool Combat Club side are. So that'll be announced who knows when, next week sometime. Will Ospreay, Jericho, and MJF, Adam Cole. So they have eight matches on the card so far. And when you're talking about All Out, which is the following week, they only have one. Luchasaurus versus Darby Allen for the TNT Championship. That's the only and, match they have. Yeah, and what, what are, are we doing Punk Samoa Joe again? That's supposed to be on, on All, in, on all okay. Out. Okay. So it's, that's supposed to be at Wembley. Okay. And do we get something like... At the end of the show, do we get Punk coming out with the title, or does Punk get involved in that Cole MJF match? Is that a way where they don't ha- they don't have to do a turn, right? They can have Punk be the one that gets involved in that match that screws over Adam Cole, and that leads to Adam Cole MJF, or that leads to MJF Punk, and it's sort of they can keep Cole and MJF going for a little while, maybe. But it's to me, it's a bummer because I don't feel. Like they're they're making us think this is as big of a show as it is yeah, selling it's next tickets. Sunday. It's next Sunday night. It's yep. next Sunday night or next Not Sunday a- when you whenever you know uh, because it's overseas. But it's next Sunday. We're a week away. We're basically a week away. Not a fan of the build 
so far. Let's get over to WWE Coop. This week we saw Austin Theory um, defend the U.S. title, but he lost the U.S. title to Rey Mysterio, and that was something that was a little surprising to me at first, but I think it's a way to get the belt onto Mysterio, and now you can build Mysterio as a strong opponent for whomever you want that champion to be. Is it someone like L.A. Knight? Is it just going to be someone like Santos? But it is... It is, I don't think, a good thing for Austin Theory, who no, a, a few months no. ago, like a, when Vince was around still, and he's got that egg, he's running around <laughs> the with the, the money the in the bank briefcase. The <laughs> we, we were like, okay, Austin Theory's in a good spot. And then it felt like for a while they forgot about him. Then they bring him back, and they have him have a match with John Cena at WrestleMania, and they've done nothing since. Like nothing yeah. with him at all. I feel bad for him because he not he had a nice run, but it got super stale. Not his fault. You can only do so much. Uh, I think it's the end of the road uh, for his era. I'm not saying he won't be back in a better, bigger feud. Um, I, I could definitely see him squandering back down to NXT. I was a little disappointed. Uh, I have no problem with Rey Mysterio winning the title. If Santos Escobar is legitimately injured, I understand that angle. But I've always been a big fan of him, and I was hoping that he would be the one that win the title. Maybe he turns on Rey. I don't know what we're getting at here. Maybe that's something we can uh, we can book toward in the future. But again, is he legitimately hurt, or was this just an angle to get the belt on Rey? Nonetheless, I thought it was good to get the title off Austin Theory. I think you and I both agree with that. Yeah. Um, and I have no problem with Rey Mysterio winning. I just I was just wanting to see Santos get in that the position guy. to have a chance to win it. Yeah. Other uh, things to point out from SmackDown. So, well, you know, you and I haven't talked quite as much. Um, we have a new women's champion wow. on the yeah. SmackDown side with yeah. the money in the bank cash in. With uh, with EO, which was something that we thought could possibly happen at SummerSlam, I will say it feels kind of strange because on the SmackDown side, feels like you've got EO and Charlotte and Bailey and Asuka and Bianca all sort of in that main event picture, and then on the women's side on Raw, it's like Rhea and. Like maybe Raquel, you know, it kind of feels like there's a, there's not a whole lot of women contenders on the Raw side right now, whereas they've got a lot that they're building up on the SmackDown side. Um, What'd you think about Charlotte and Oscar's match? No contest. It's fine. Like I mean, the two of them are good, and then Damage Control attacks afterwards. I'm I'm just not as big of a fan of. At least this wasn't like a pay per view match that they built to. I don't like yeah. when they build to yeah. the matches or they they act like oh we're gonna have this big match on TV and then we were in it for ten or fifteen minutes and then they have a a DQ. Um, so I'm I'm curious where we go here now because maybe Fatal Four Way is the way to go. There were rumors about um recently about Kyrie Sane even sure. coming back Sorry. that we yeah. had heard. Um, so she would definitely inject something a little different and unique here. Let's see, pulling some other things from SmackDown. I'd love to see a little bit more from AJ Styles right now. Uh, he he looked good on the show. He had a match with Karrion Cross. He ends up winning. Hopefully, he can maybe put that behind him now and and move forward because I do feel like on the SmackDown side, 
if they get away from the bloodline at all, or maybe not necessarily get away from it, maybe the story is told for a while of Jimmy versus Jay, and you find another contender or two for Roman. Yeah. Like you could have AJ, you know, set up for a fun match with Roman with the the club guys there. Also, you could have um, Edge, who we'll talk about. Edge is coming up this weekend. Is was the twenty fifth anniversary? Yeah. Of yeah, uh, being called, the WWE, Sheamus to be his final match, right? And contract. what's cool is I saw this on Twitter somewhere. Somebody said in one show, in one segment, uh, Edge made sense and and built the match with Sheamus. And now you care because you heard about how Sheamus was the guy who helped Edge train and come back when he wa- and he was trying to get back in the ring. And Sheamus would beat the crap out of him. Sheamus stayed with him and his family to help him train. And like he knows their kids well And it's like oh I didn't know any of that I didn't know any of that <laughs> yeah. And now all of a sudden I'm intrigued in seeing Edge versus Sheamus They did that on one show I'm more interested in that match Than every other match on AEW Except for the MJF Cole Because I, I don't I'm kind of curious to see what's going to happen there Yeah me too uh, It's a good TV match with Cross uh, No problems there Um as we get into uh, the bloodline stuff, I, I, you know, who was it? Jay that quit, uh, walked out and he said, I, I quit. I'm out. Uh, and he's out. So I don't know how much bloodline stuff we're going to see other than, so that leaves solo Jimmy and Roman. And I don't know if Roman has a match at payback uh, here in two weeks. I don't think he's on that card. So if we're going to, uh, let the bloodline storyline simmer a little bit, back burner it. it. It's time for some guys to step up, and AJ Styles would be the one of the ones that I would want in the forefront for that. And then we got that great promo from Edge. Him and Sheamus set up a match for next week. That'll be a that'll be a, a really fun match. I'm sure those two guys are gonna have a banger on SmackDown. We then had our guy, yeah, yeah. L A. Well, let me tell you Knight. something. Let me talk to you <laughs> L.A. Knight versus Top Dollar. He gets a quick win This is coming off of his win In the Battle Royal And they're building to What looks like a match between him and Miz um, They're continuing to cut Promo battles And the what I like with L.A. Knight Is to me he keeps Passing the tests little by little Like they're sliding him another quiz and then he gets like a B plus or an A minus on it and moves to the next one. And then they they keep moving him to the next level. And I gotta say, when when people talk about LA Knight and they'll you know, they'll say positives and negatives, and people say, Well, yeah, he's not that good in the ring. People talk about him like he's got two left feet. I think it's become way more than it is. He's not bad in the ring. No. He's not bad. He's just not Seth Rollins. That's all. He's just not going to give you a five-star match every time. But he does give you a good match with the right opponent. And I I think it's weird when people are like, oh, yeah, LA Knight, but his matches, or is he going to be able to do a 15 or 20-minute main event match? Yes, we've seen him do it. Yes. He did it in NXT. He did it in, AEW, or in TNA, in Impact. He did it in NWA, where he tells stories in the ring. And... He's not bad. I don't know. No. Maybe he's a little clunky in spots. Like he's not. A but that's flying. okay. That's what makes him unique, though. I too, like it. Right? He's, 
yes, he's not. He's just not flying through the air like Ricochet, but he's not bad. I. It bothers me when people act like he can't wrestle at all because I think that has gone too far now. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. Come on. I mean, we're starting to nitpick now. We're at a level of uh, you're in the WWE. Come on. I, I, I mean, just just stop it. I mean, everyone loved him when he was in Impact. Everyone loved him on the indie circuits. And now he signs with WWE, and there's a contingent that says they start nitpicking. This guy is – he's he's a star. He's a star. And hopefully soon – well, I, I think the the, the Miz uh, storyline will – look, two weeks ago on Raw, that was – that, that promo, promo battle. was spectacular. Spectacular. There's one thing the Miz. Hey, look, the Miz is not a five star wrestler. He's a no, no. world champion, and he's a hell of a promo. Why do you think this guy's been employed for all these time and had TV shows on the USA Network? Give me a break. And for some wrestlers, I, I know this sounds like it's a cop out, but for some wrestlers, their gimmick is having the best matches, or they're yes. supposed to be better wrestlers than other guys who. That's not who LA Knight is supposed to be right now. He's the talker. He's he's more of a quick talking, try to get one up on you. Uh, you're gonna like he's gonna trick you and beat you. He's not gonna just out wrestle you. That's just not his character. So it it makes sense to me. LA Knight. Yeah. Yeah. I I'm uh I'm liking little by little Bobby Lashley, Montez Ford, and Dawkins, yeah, the yeah, heel, the there. heel prophets. And Bobby mentioned something about like the new blood on SmackDown. He would be a fun challenger for Roman Reigns, too. Absolutely. Absolutely. Just feel like someone who's kind of on that level. And now all of a sudden, if you were to throw Montez and, and Dawkins next to him, you could think maybe they could cheat to win that. I don't think Bobby would be the guy, but if you put him in a match at Survivor Series against Roman Reigns, I wouldn't be I wouldn't be bothered by it. No, it, absolutely not. Um, and then we finished up with the Bloodline, and as you said, Jay is out. He's out the Bloodline. He's out SmackDown. He's out of WWE. They tease us there, and we'll <laughs> see what will happen moving forward. So, a good SmackDown and Raw was very good. The Judgment Day. They just keep. Telling great stories with them They add JD McDonough into the mix Now too because he has A past with Finn Balor And we gotta have a breakup Coming soon right Priest is yeah. on his way out Right I think I think Priest could become A babyface soon yes he, he sort of feels like it and, and I could all- like a, He feels like a, a, a Star waiting to be really Really big don't you Com- think this has been his best Work since Absolutely. being with the WWE Main roster since the bad bunny Match in Puerto Rico He's oh, yeah. really stepped everything up, and you could tell that that was a big, like, that was a big confidence building match for him. He just feels like he's carrying himself like a top guy. You've got Finn, who is now involved with McDonough. I'd love to see McDonough and Finn as a tag team. Maybe I think that could oh, be yeah. even where they're going. Like they would have some fun against Sammy and KO, and it's unfortunate because both Sammy and KO are hurt right now. Both of them are, and. I think, Chad, because they haven't taken the tag team titles on them yet, it feels like they may not be hurt for that long. I think if they knew Kevin Owens was going to be out for a long time, they might have taken the titles off him already. So fingers crossed because on one on one side, we want to see them. I guess on the other, it's not bad for Sammy because Sammy gets to be sort of elevated again towards the top of the card. And <laughs> no, he's right. in 
tag team matches with Seth Rollins, and he is again one of your sort of top tier baby faces. I I just look through Raw, and I don't see a lot of things that I felt like, oh, that's bad, or oh, this was bad. I I don't think JD McDonough maybe should have lost to Sammy. Like you know, you you probably could have had him win and make him seem a little bit stronger and and have him cheat to win there, but. I just don't have a whole lot of criticisms for them. Chad, have you sent in your video for uh, Chelsea Green? For uh... <laughs> I was planning on it. Um, I, I have a couple of uh, uh, T-shirts of Chelsea Green when she was on the indie circuit. So I was going to propose to Chelsea that while I probably would not be a very good in-ring tag partner, I could definitely be the head of merch sales. I, I could definitely could could, uh, could be the manager of her uh, merchandise um, and do that. I was hoping this would go along uh, this a little longer, a little bit longer yeah. because it was so fun the way she was doing it, and I was completely surprised with the uh, Piper Neven. Uh, Neven. Yeah, and I'm. I will total. I will really let this one play out because I think. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Chelsea to. is entertaining enough to where she, yes. the two of them, could have a fun. Like she could feed off of Piper in a really fun way. Yeah, they were scared. arguing on the bump, and Chelsea was by herself in a car and just like talking crap about her. And then it was like two seconds later, Piper's you know, comes in via Skype and she goes, oh, we were just talking about how great of a tag team partner you're going to be with me. It was just just really, really entertaining, man. It was really entertaining. And I'm so glad this is, you know, because usually when a tag partner gets hurt, those titles come off and they're. uh, She doesn't deserve that though. No, she's done such good work from when she was doing it with Carmella and then Sonia. And now she deserves to still be a big part. on the. Let's get, let's, Let's work these curses off these WWE women tag team titles. Let's see where it goes from there. But as you said, though, Raw, we're kind of convoluted a little bit with the with Rhea and then Raquel maybe hurt. We saw Candice LeRae get involved. Indy Hartwell, you know, kind of got jobbed by Rhea on Raw. So it's kind of kind of convoluted a little bit uh, uh, on the women's side of things on Raw, as you said. I tell you what's not convoluted is this Gunther Chad Gable. This is great. Chad Gable could win the IC title. And I I don't know if I would be mad about it. Me neither. I think he could. I think he should. Because it's this one is one of those that is natural, right? It wasn't forced. The crowd has loved Chad Gable for a long time. You could have at any point elevated him and the crowd would have been in in with it because He's so good in ring, but he's figured out the character over the last couple of years. This guy was doomed as Shorty G a few years ago. <laughs> he was doomed. And and it's funny because I might have told you like 10 years ago when when you're watching NXT and he's coming up with Ready, Willing, and Gable and he's doing the towels. I I bought stock in him immediately. The I remember the first time I saw him on a show, I was like, oh my God, this guy's got it. Like he's going to be like a Daniel Bryan-ish, Kurt Angle-ish. And it's not that he, he's he been disappointing. It's just they've never given him a serious push. They've never treated him like a serious wrestler. And even Gunther just mentioning he was an Olympic wrestler and this and that, it, it elevates him a, a bit there. Man, because you can so easily have Chad Gable win 
Maybe it was because of Kaiser getting involved, right? Something like that happens. Yeah, because then Gable beat Giovanni on Raw in a pretty and, good match, and then Guther was, was like picked off. And they're they're starting yeah. to build what I like too in all of this is Kaiser has his own things going on now too. He's yes. not just Gunther's yes. guy. Kaiser's spitting game at Maxine. <laughs> and, and now the cool thing about Kaiser is he's got something that's a little unique is the voice. Like, you yeah. know, when he starts to talk, you know who it is. It's half the battle in wrestling. Sure. Just being different, being unique. And I, I would love something where Gunther loses it to Gable. And then Gable can actually even have a match with Kaiser and a little bit of a feud there with Maxine. And you could push Gunther right up to Seth Rollins if you wanted. That's true. Like, That's right point. up to the And to I the could main. see him winning it off Seth Rollins, too. I could, I could, too. Right away. I could see him being a guy that loses the IC title and then within two weeks wins the, other, wins the world title. Absolutely. That's a, that was a Bret Hart thing. That's what they did with Bret in 92. He loses to Bulldog at SummerSlam. In the main event of SummerSlam And then like a month later Was it Saskatchewan Where he beats Ric Flair And it wasn't even on TV It doesn't take long because we forget things We're in a quick forget uh, Society here right we move on real quick So it wouldn't take long for Gunther Gunther to come back and and, and Challenge Seth Rollins Especially if uh, if one of the 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 flunkies you know Cause, cause Gunther to lose Because you know it probably won't be a clean finish If Gable wins Gunther has not been defeated And he's getting defeated. close to to passing that um, Record for the honky tonk If Gable doesn't win they, This is another fantastic job Of WWE Telling the story that Gable Could win And we have to give them All the credit in the world Because this was a guy that was picked out and that was one that everybody said WWE won't know what to do with him. Group, that's a good Every, statement. That's a everybody statement. did. They said, "Oh my God!" They changed his name from Walter, and they made him lose some weight and like cut down on his belly a little bit. Oh, remember Keith Lee tweeted, uh, "What if uh, the infamous Keith Lee tweet? If what I'm hearing is true, poor Walter." And who? I, I think Gunther in... was at the 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 Philadelphia Eagles football game last night. They showed him on the sidelines. Who's like this in guy looks like a, a, you, a you star, talk about a model, a freaking star in fantastic shape. He feels like it. He looks like it. The Ring General <laughs> Gunther on Monday Night Raw keeps kicking ass, and uh, we, you know what? They don't really have much for him right now. I'm fine with Drew and Riddle putting them together, and yeah. I, it, I think. Drew's got to turn heel soon, right? It feels could. like it's coming. And this, this could be it right here. This could yeah. be it. I think you. This, I think we go Drew Seth too. That's completely agree. One that could could immediately go Drew's, right up to the Shinsuke match. Drew's got the very easy like. I was your champion during the pandemic. Oh, you could turn right? that on whenever you wanted Instantly. to, right? You just you flip that. I never got my moment at Clash of the Castle. I was going to beat Roman Reigns, and I got screwed. Solo Sokoa shows up at WrestleMania. I could have won, and then Sheamus and me were worried. You know, he's got the easy one with the fans. Like I was your guy. You don't care about me anymore, and it'll be good. And they're right now the like the main heels on Raw is the Judgment Day. You know, so yeah, they just had yeah. 
they had to make Nakamura into a heel, which I think is is pretty good. I actually think they made some sense of it quickly, and I don't know if that's a pay-per-view main event, but if you're talking about like what we could have for a good main event on a Monday Night Raw and give Shinsuke and Seth 20 minutes, like that that match will be good and Nakamura seems a little motivated here. We haven't really seen him as a heel in WWE or NXT because from the moment he came in, people have always wanted to cheer him and sing his song. He's never really been a heel, right? Right. I don't think so. Not to more where he's got to do an entire storyline to do it. No, and and I think you're hitting on a, another thing. When's the last time Nakamura's had a storyline? <laughs> yeah, remember some, he was on SmackDown. He was the U.S. champion, right? For or was he Intercontinental champion? Uh, yeah, yeah, no, whatever. he was U.S. But I mean, both. And Actually, he was both. Ta- and he was stuck in tag matches every week with Boogs. Yeah, yeah, with, with Boogs. So maybe we get a Riddle, Drew. Maybe I, I could see them having a tag team match or even a little run and then breaking up. But I, I do think the way to go is you want to get Riddle uh, and Drew against each other and you want to get Drew as a heel. They, I think they've done a pretty good job with Raquel. They showed her talking to Indy and Candice. Um, she's still not cleared from her knee injury. But Raquel's starting to gain some momentum, I think, as a baby face. She, she feels sort yeah. of... Kind of yeah. naturally over with the crowd. I don't think the crowd has a reason to to have booed Raquel because from the moment she's been brought up, even when she would lose matches to Ronda or to other champions or in comp- she would always be in competitive matches. She's never been like, oh, they just rolled up Raquel. She's never looked stupid. She's won the tag titles with a couple different partners. And so it just shows you when you treat someone with respect and you treat them like a star The crowd feels like they're a star And I don't think Raquel Could beat Rhea right now But I absolutely think Raquel Is a future women's champion, no doubt about it Yeah, I was going to ask you If if uh, you think she's if, if it's believable enough for now For her to beat Rhea I think Rhea's so hot right now That's, that We can't do that And if the problem is, I don't even think it's It's like the fault of Raquel it just no. Rhea just feels no, like she's in a, diff, in a different stratosphere from all. Remember of the a women. couple of years ago, we were we were worried if she was going to make it on the main rosters. You know, the they were COVID. giving her those terrible babyface promos to cut. Yes, and, she, and, and they were and, not her voice she, at all. And she wasn't having good matches. You can tell she was down on herself. Now, I, you love to hate her. She's got as 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 many fans as she does those. I, I think people love to boo her. But at the end of the day, you see more and more Rhea Ripley shirts being sold. The Trish-Becky match, this has been weird. So this was Very pushed off booking. of SummerSlam. We figured it was pushed to Monday Night Raw to give them more time. And it and was. Then, and then when you when this wasn't in the main event, it, quite, knew it kind of— was up. Yeah, yeah. Knew was up here. And they've and, done this recently, too. Didn't they do this with Becky and Bailey, where they were supposed yeah. to have a match on Raw? Yeah. And then— they and ended they up being a DQ. Cage. They were supposed to have a still cage. And then they do the cage next week. So now they're going to have a cage match between Becky and Trish. And I will say. That one will be at payback though, right? That will be. A, I think it'll be a payback. And that's it's the just, only match for payback we got, which is in it two weeks. Feels like the feud kind of missed the t- the timing. Uh, it, did. Missed, it just did. Right? It, it, it should have end, been ended like a month ago, three weeks ago. And now we're dragging on. 
Because Becky feels like one of the only people who you could slot in with Rhea and would make sense there. Yeah. I don't so know if they've waited for Lita or that's not going to happen, but this has definitely felt like a big miss at this point. We did get Cody Rhodes beating Finn Balor. And Good then, match. yeah, Cody used the briefcase um, when, when they tossed Cody it in. Now? What if are we you were doing me, with Cody? Me booking, I would book Cody versus Priest for the for the briefcase. Okay, that's good. Like I, I, I like think that. I would, and the only thing is, you got to make sure because where Cody goes right now, he can't lose anymore. I like he just. I don't think he can lose anymore between now and going to Roman. He lost to Brock. I just don't think you want this guy losing because I do think the crowd. One of the but negatives I will say with the bloodline is that. I don't think anybody feels like anyone but Ro- but Cody Rhodes can beat Roman Reigns now, based on like the stories they've told. Because if it's not going to be Jay, Jay would have made sense for the story, but Jay Jay doesn't make sense for the WWE. Jay doesn't make sense to be the guy. Cody's a much bigger star. I, in the next six months, are we going to believe that anybody has a chance to beat Roman Reigns if it's not Cody? So does Cody need that briefcase to get back to that match since he lost to him at Mania? Personally, I think for Cody, that would be the best way to do it as a babyface. But I don't want to do that to Priest. That's my only problem, right? I don't want Priest to lose that briefcase. Well, maybe that's how... That's how he turns babyface, right? He gets screwed out out. of it. Maybe maybe Judgment Day screw him out of it. JD McDonough. Yeah. I'm just pulling it out of No, and I like that. I don't know. I don't know. That can keep Priest strong. Yes. And then what that does is I just I don't want Cody in the Royal Rumble this year. Okay. I don't I don't because Well, I, I forgot about that. That's the way for him to win it. Exactly, right? Can Cody get this briefcase and then right now Ooh. tell us Ooh. I'm challenging Roman Reigns for at at WrestleMania. Does that ruin ruin Royal Rumble? To me, with with there now being another champion, it doesn't. Because okay. That champion can win and face Seth Rollins or whoever okay. the Raw champ is, just like we used to do when we had the two belts, right? One yeah. of them, you'd have a winner of the of the Elimination Chamber and then a winner of the Royal Rumble, as yeah. usually the people at, at Mania. I think, because that's what's hard. I think separately, Cody getting that briefcase and then putting the briefcase up like the the true baby face thing to do. I'm not going to cash it in when he's weakened. I'm calling my shot right now, main event of WrestleMania. Here it is. I'm putting it up. And then you have time to tell the story and you don't have to have Cody win the Royal Rumble and you don't have to have people go, "Oh, Cody won it again last last year. That was super predictable. We knew he was going to face Roman." Just get that out of the way right off the bat. Then we can watch the Royal Rumble and we can actually think like Holy crap, can LA Knight win this thing? You know, like you'd yeah. feel like the field was opened up a lot more. Yeah. There. That is true. So uh that's a look at Monday Night Raw. Let's finish up with some NXT. Tony D and Stax, they're your tag team champs, and they kick off the show. They win the tag team match against the dyad there. Um, post match schism. Is mad. The Creed brothers are out there, <laughs> and they're not. They're not showing themselves. It's a little those, clunky those, with all those of this, right? mask assailants. I know the the mask. I'm watching the show Heels, which is a good show on Stars. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and they the, the most recent episode, they have uh, these 
the two companies are going to be facing each other and at the end Ace Spade comes out and he's the masked bad guy and he's got like a voice distorter <laughs> and it, I think he says I need the I'm the redeemer or I'm the redemption <laughs> it, it was reminded me of this the masked the masked man coming out there we um we saw the setup for what I honestly think if it's if it's given the right amount of time in the right setting Wes and Carmelo could be one of the better NXT championship matches we've ever seen. Are you okay with neither being a heel or will one turn before then? I it, I think Wes is going to turn. Okay. I okay. feel like he's sort of getting there. He's been kind of annoying. I, I, I I'm feeling the same. I thought maybe, okay, Car, you know, Carmelo is, or Carmelo's going to turn again, you know, because he, he's been a heel and tricks going to do something and, and they'll, they'll turn. I, I feel I, I'm with you. I feel the opposite. I, I think Wes is going to be the now it may not be a full hundred percent heel, but I think he go goes into the quote unquote heel in this match. And yeah, he I may work the heel yeah, in the match. I think they can tear the house down when given time. I completely agree. I'm really looking forward to this one. Dana Brooke uh gets beat by Blair Davenport. This was a way to get Davenport a win and have her look strong. She's one of the top heels. In the yeah. women's division, right? She's probably like sure. heel number two or three now. So I can understand yeah, why. They, they, I think they announced Tiffany would be back next week. Trick so, uh, Williams. Number one heel. Picks up a quick win over Drew Gulak. That's to give him a win because he's going to be having his match next week against Dragonoff. Man, that should be a blast. That should be a blast. Oh, yeah. Trick Dragonoff coming up next week. And we see Trick continuing to improve. Baron Corbin. Talked about how nobody's seen Gable Stevenson since he got in the ring with him. I love that. Uh, that I I like the line where he goes, he tells Von Wagner, hey, you need to learn how to talk to the stick, pal. Yeah. (laughs) Corbin was funny on on Tuesday. He had a funny little guy that's really, really good at what he does when given a good storyline. And I I don't know if he's going to actually have a match with Braun or not, but him and Braun sort of got into it a little later in the night. So I'm not scared of you, man. Um, so that's I like that. I think it's good use of all these guys with Von Wagner uh, in the mix with them. Mustafa Ali, <laughs> he cut a promo. This was pretty good. It was sort of like a, a political promo. He was like standing up like he was a politician talking about why he needs to win the North American title. <laughs> um, again, just like him and Corbin were guys on the main roster that weren't being given anything. No, and and now on NXT they just feel like such a bigger star, and a lot of it is to do with they're just given a storyline. Yeah, they're given something to do here. And, and look, you're not look, and, and I'm not saying this is the case. Who knows? But when you're given something, you better make the best of this opportunity because you may not be given another one. You may just be stuck stuck as one of these house show guys that get to wrestle two or three times a week in house shows. And regardless if the matches are good, not get that TV time. And I think more often than not, we are seeing these WWE superstars take full advantage of what they've been given, even if it's something they're not comfortable with. And I like to see these guys and girls grow out of their comfort zone. And you can see several workers doing that. And I think that's an example here. We got a Dabakato um, vignette. We'll see what they uh, if they can repackage him or they can make him seem like a big star. Tyler Bate picked up a win over Joe Coffey. I think that's to 
make Tyler Bate kind of elevated up into where he can be a contender for one of the titles coming up soon. Hey, what do you think about this uh, mixed tag that they're going to have at Heat Wave with uh, Rhea and Dom? Um, I like this. Man, I like this. this. Is, I was with Dragon the, Lee the and Lyra. Tag. Yeah, I was the fan of the mixed tag on Facebook Live after Raw, right? Oh, the mixed match challenge. I yeah, love that. Those, with those were Alexa fun. and Braun. Yeah, they were Braun great. Were just fantastic. I think these th- this match can you talk about tearing the house down. I think these four can tear the house down. Yeah, I think Carmella and R Truth were a team, right? They would like dance yeah. together. They would do the <laughs> dance were. breaks right in the middle. Yes. That was fun. That was fun. So next week on Heat Wave, um oh before that, we had J.C. Jane versus Tia Hale. They're setting it up for Tia to just be really frustrated right now. She's young. Yeah, and they, yeah, yeah. She's losing. Uh, Andre Chase keeps trying to help her, but every time he's giving her advice, it backfires. It goes the wrong way. I don't want to see her turn heel. I want to see it, it give her layers, right? right. She's such a good baby face that everybody wants to root for. Like, I don't want to see her be a heel. I think it's a good way to tell this full circle story with her and maybe in a few months or if they do want her to win the title, this is how it comes around with Chase helping her and her realizing that she did need to get help from him. I I like her. I think she's a good character and I think I'm glad that they've found ways to keep her on TV now even after losing that women's title match. I agree. I mean, you know, something may have gotten lost in this show, and I thought they did a really good video package of it, was the Angel Garza and Puerto Carrillo. I love that. Oh, their history that with their family? Really, really good here. Because those, really those guys are, this. that's the most in the last few weeks I've ever been interested in Garza. Yes. yes. By far. Or, excuse me, in Carrillo. Well in Carrillo. Yeah. Because Garza's... Garza's got some personality to him. Yeah, because right? he's done, remember, the Bachelor type thing with mm-hmm. the Rosa, the Playboy, you know, type Car- deal. Carrillo's I, been the good in-ring worker that you've had a hard time caring about. with, yeah. Yeah. with, yeah. Yes, exactly. But right now— Yeah, that was good. It was good, and I feel like this—they could be a solid tag team or have a feud and then elevate one of them. Um, I, I like Carrillo a, a bit. Here's what we have for next week. Dominic Mysterio and Rhea versus Dragon Lee and Lyra. Dragon Off versus Trick Williams. The Heritage Cup. Nathan Frazier versus Noam Dar. Vaughn Wagner versus Baron Corbin. And Carmelo versus Wes Lee. Now, stop for one second. There's one, <laughs> two, three, four, five matches on that show for next week. All five of them have... You may not like them. You may not... Think you may not be fans of those particular wrestlers. You may not think everything that's happened has been good, but all of those matches have been built with storyline over a few week period. And then compare that to the matches we were just talking about for AEW All In. A bunch of them are like six man tags or tag matches where you're trying to get a bunch of people on the card. What are you more invested in? I mean, I'm invested in these matches with the stories that they've told. Am I saying this show is going to be better than the other show? No, but this is how I want the wrestling that I watch. I want the matches to be built and lead to to feuds just like we're seeing on NXT. And I think it's shown weekly with NXT because their ratings now are in the upper 700s where uh, not long ago they were in the fives to sixes and they've been – very, very, very solid every week. 
and they're inching closer and closer to getting to that 800,000 mark. And when they get that, you're going to have to, to call NXT a viable competitor to AEW Dynamite, whether you like it or not. But I think they have been steady, very steady. And th- that card for next week, I hope every match gets its due time because any of those matches could be a main event next Tuesday night. Chad, before I let you go, I didn't tell you that we were going to do this, but Uh-oh. I, I want to ask you some questions because we're uh, Eric and I are previewing the NFC East this week. That's the, the Cowboys. The oh, very, them boy, America's the, team. The popular team, the Cowboys, them boys. We have McCarthy <laughs> taking over the play calling duties now, and this really feels like Kind of a put up or shut up year for them and for Dak and for Dak in particular, right? Because last year he comes off a terrible year. He missed five games and he still led the league in interceptions, even missing five games. And he he kind of feels like one of those guys that beats up on inferior competition. And then when he has to step up and they have to play a good team and he needs to make a play, he needs to make the throw. I don't know if he can do it. The NFC is weak this year overall. Overall, it is really weak. We know in their division they've got the Eagles, but they've won 12 games back-to-back years now. You, you know, they haven't even made the conference championship since 1995. Not even the conference championship since '95. Like you gotta, you gotta do it now. McCarthy made the move. He said, "I'm gonna call plays." He hasn't called plays since 2018, though. A lot of things could have changed. And it also feels to me like how good of a play caller are you when you're coaching Aaron Rodgers in his prime? You know, (laughs) this same thing happened with Adam Gase and Peyton Manning when we thought Adam Gase was this great coach because he was coaching Peyton Manning. You know, it's a little different when you've got that veteran guy out there who can make audibles and who knows what they're doing. Is Dak Aaron Rodgers? I don't think so. You know, I so. I mean, for, as far as this division is concerned, you got Philly, who's the heavy favorite. Dallas is the second choice. The Giants are the third choice. And then the Washington uh, Commanders round out the field. What do you think about Dallas this year? You think good year, bad year? Their over-under is like nine and a half-ish, around 10 wins. Like, give us some thoughts because you get a lot of buzz and you get a lot of, uh, I mean, Cowboys are on all the radio stations. And oh, yeah. They're, they're even, what's talked even, about. Even me being this close to Houston, it, it's still... Cowboys country around here. Uh, yeah, they're good. I, I'm with you. I think it's put up or shut up for McCarthy this year. Um, and they're going to, you know, regardless if you thought he was overpaid and, and not good enough, they're going to have to do it without Ezekiel Elliott. He's gone. Uh, I think they tagged Tony Pollard, who remember he uh, he broke a leg or something and, during the, the playoff loss. So he's going to miss some games. Well, and he, and can he be the number one, right? It's right. totally different to be the guy that gets the ball every down between the tackles for as much crap as Ezekiel Elliott has got the last couple of years. He took a lot of bumps and bruises. He wears down the other defenses a little bit, and that would help Pollard be able to break those big runs. Sure. You, you know, he's not the biggest guy in the world, too, and he's been injured. I just have some concerns with them on the offensive side. Yeah, yeah. The defense Cooks is pretty good. Yeah, yeah. They brought in Cooks, right? And you have Gilmore in the mix. Well, well, Philly, Philly had a phenomenal draft, right? They have yeah. phenomenal draft uh, in the offseason. One of the best players in the draft dropped to them because he had some 
he was involved in a really bad off-field incident. But yeah, some legal issues. But Jake, from a player standpoint, he's like a really good fit for them. He could be perfect and and fill right in on the defensive line. I, I I just you know the Commanders. I think there's already problems there. There's rumors that uh, you know the head coach was throwing the new OC. Under the the, kid, the players said that it was too hard, right? Yeah. Isn't that what some of them said that he's making yeah. them work too hard? Eric, yeah, Eric the enemy, and then there's now there's you know the new owners have said, well, we're going to try to bring back the old Redskin name. So I don't. And know is how Sam many- Howell a starting quarterback in the <laughs> yeah. NFL? I have no right. idea with them. So how many games are they going to win? I don't know. The Giants, you know, they've got running back troubles, right? I, I, you, you just don't know. You think Daniel Lee would probably, uh, or Daniel Jones is, is going to be better this year. But the Cowboys, it, it, it's it's Dak. You know, that that offense is, it goes as Dak goes. If he has one of those games where they throw, throw 30 or 40 passes, which they love to be pass heavy in McCarthy's uh, offensive scheme, and he's calling the play calls, and this guy throws three or four interceptions every couple of weeks, and they get into shootouts, they're going to be in trouble. They're, they're, it just is what it is. If Philadelphia can maintain what they did last year, uh, I know everyone and their mother loves to bet the Dallas Cowboy overs, and they love to bet them to win the division. And they're always – the. I'm a fan of the Lakers. They're, that's my team. They're, they're like the Lakers. They're like the Yankees. Whatever their price is, it's just higher than it should be. Any yes, Any number. I agree. So if they're if they're favored in a game by seven and a half, they should be favored by six and a half. And game. I think Dallas is even getting some plus money too to yeah. even egg it on even more, like plus one forty to win the division. Yeah. Philadelphia. I, I just look. I think Jalen Hurts is a stud. I think he's going to be he's a winner. Better, barring any injuries, at Philadelphia and, and the rest of the division. Me, that, I that's think just the way it is to be. Me too. I think they do still seem like they've got the most well built roster. In the NFC, they're really well balanced, top to bottom. I agree. NFC East, we'll talk more with Coop as the football season gets closer and closer, only a couple weeks away from college football. NFL, I think three Thursdays away from kicking off the season. Anything that's going on in the world of wrestling, we're going to be talking about here on This Week in Wrestling with Chad Cooper. I missed you the last few weeks, buddy. One of the weeks I was out of commission, one you were out of commission, but it's a... it's been a few years now. We're up over 400 episodes, and you have been such a big part of so, so many of them. So thanks again, and I hope you have a, a great weekend over there. Let's pick some winners this weekend, Gino. Watch some wrestling, and uh, we'll talk more next week. Thanks so much, everyone, for hanging out with us. Make sure to give him a follow at the Chad Cooper on Twitter and on Instagram. Loop, my man, will uh, be back each and every week. And that's going to do it for this episode. That's what G said. A big thank you to Eric as we continue along with our NFL team previews. Chad Cooper helping us out with this week in wrestling. And good luck to everyone playing the races this weekend. We had four different Saturday tracks that we're going to be firing away on. Don't forget to come join us Sunday morning, 11 a.m. Eastern time to preview the Sunday Kings Plate card at Woodbine. Me and Barry Spears on Twitter. It's me, Gino B. Have a fantastic weekend, everyone.